0: And I wonder, when I sing along with you, if everything could ever feel this real forever, if anything could ever be this good again, and the only thing I ever ask of you, you've got to promise not to stop when I say when. She sang. This week we're talking about Foo Fighters' second album, The Color and the Shape.
1: Welcome to the Essential Albums Podcast, where three guys from 85 have a conversation about some of the biggest albums ever. And forgotten favorites from yesteryear, we'll dig into an album's place in culture, discuss its merits, and decide if a record holds up and is worth your time. So join longtime friends Ryan, Nice, and Gordon as we dive into our favorite albums and relive some of the classics. All right, great job on the intro there, Nice. I was like, was I didn't so- want to look at you because I'm like, he's he's going for
2: it. I, I don't want was, to laugh.
0: It was so hard to do that without like singing it.
2: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I'm sure you had the uh, the the words down pat by now
0: yeah yeah Yeah. well i was i was reading them still because i didn't want to screw something up and make an ass of myself messing up the lyrics of one of the most popular songs
1: yeah yeah yeah, arguably one of the greatest songs of all time (laughs) um but yeah i guess uh yeah this week we're talking about uh the color and the shape uh t-cats but um uh, this band, Pitchfork, has described Dave Grohl and the band as this generation's answer to Tom Petty, a consistent hit machine pumping out working uh, working class rock. Um so I mean I think that pretty much sums up the band nicely. I mean, these guys have been around for what, over unless, unless you don't know
0: now? unless like you're a younger person who doesn't know who Tom Petty is, then
1: yeah. <laughs> That's true, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I mean I mean for three guys from eighty five, we know who Tom Petty is. Yes,
0: yes. I saw Tom Petty live, actually. Yeah. So
1: nice. I mean and I mean, Dave Grohl has obviously played with with Tom Petty live. Well, I think on SNL, maybe some other shows. Uh,
0: I feel like at this point, Dave, I'm pretty sure at this point Dave Grohl has played with almost everyone, <laughs> or most <laughs> people, or most people. But yeah,
1: yeah, he's got he's got an extremely long list. I I did note some of those after, but we can get we can get into it. But um, I guess yeah, the Foo Fighters and, and Dave Grohl are are probably one of the or the most one of the most influential mainstream rock acts um of since the mid 90s on uh, and they've been able to kind of maintain that um how how do you guys feel about Foo Fighters what's your relationship to Foo Fighters
2: I would disagree with that statement I don't think that they're that influential I think they're pretty big but I don't think that they're that influential like they have no trends have kind of stemmed from the Foo Fighters I mean I think it's partially because the genre that they work in has not been doing so well (laughs) you know uh, since that dang pop music since disco uh, screwed everything up
0: yeah but you can make the argument since that time they've sort of filled that void and filled that void fairly well for the mainstream especially
2: sure sure but in terms of like you know influencing the direction of art i don't well, i can I can't,
0: I can't say that i've heard I'll, I'll say, I'll, I'll be the bit of a devil's advocate to that just to say that since rock isn't like the main, like the biggest genre that it was back in the 90s or even as big as it was in the early 2000s, is that a point right now where there isn't many rock acts? So pretty much you have like one big one in every sort of subgenre or whatever you want to call it to kind of fill those voids. And Foo Fighters is definitely that. They're the go to rock band when it comes to, you know, any sort of like Grammy award show you're going to or someone's being honored that's a rock band you need to put together a band you're going to use Dave Grohl or you're going to use the Foo Fighters are going to be part of that I I feel like they definitely filled that void and for a lot of younger people who didn't grow up in the same era as us I think they're one of like the only rock bands that they probably even know so for that thing we don't know their influence it hasn't been seen yet I think that's
3: true
1: I I think I get your point, Ryan, of maybe influence is the wrong word, but I would say they are important because they have been able to kind of maintain, or they just continue to do um, like alternative rock music or post grunge. And they've never deviated from that. I mean, that could also be a a hit against them, but at the same time, they're the ones kind of keeping it alive in the mainstream. Like if you listen to rock radio, it's like, you're guaranteed to hear them.
2: I think that's, that's why, like, in order to be influential, you have to do something that is kind of outside of the box, outside of the mainstream. Obviously, if it's mainstream, it's not going to be influential. Influential because that influence is already in the mainstream. If you to be influential, you have to push the boundaries in some in some way. And there are s- some elements where Foo Fighters does play with the boundaries, especially with like different time feel things. I mean, he's a drummer where mm-hmm. you'll have like shorter time signatures or different odd time things but you know but outside of that you know there's not really boundary pushing going on so
0: well, I, well we're also attacking the influential question pretty early We it was more it was supposed to be your relationship i was just sort of trying to later i don't want to i don't want to spill everything i want to say now but fair enough, fair uh, enough. My, I, i'll say my relationship uh for me they were when i was first like mentioned many times in past episodes, it was like 94, 95 that I was kind of getting into rock. And at that point, uh, all the bands I was getting into, like Nirvana, Stone Temple Pilots, Pearl Jam, they all had been around for a few years. Whereas when Foo Fighters hit, like I know Dave Grohl had, you know, he's part of Nirvana, but Foo Fighters is almost like a blank slate for me. So they were like the first band where it's like, I'm right on board right at the beginning. Like I remember when I'll Stick Around first came out, I remember loving that song. You know, that first album was huge. It was, again, one of the first albums I owned. Loved that album. And then when this album came out, it was like the follow-up. So, and I was really excited for it. So it was the first band that I really felt like a true, true connection to as compared to like the Nirvanas and uh, Pearl Jam that had kind of been um, around for four or five years, had an album or two under their belts before I even knew who they were, whereas Foo Fighters were brand new. so. As like a kid, it was like, you felt a little more special to me for that reason. So in the later years, I didn't listen to them as much. And uh, going back and listening this week was kind of like, oh shit, like some of their new stuff is better than I even remember. Cause I I always listen to, I try to stay up to date and listen to everything. But yeah, for me, I was like, started off a big fan, kind of wavered a little, little kind of in my twenties, but I'd say now I listen to them regularly when they drop something, I try to listen to it and check it out. Yeah, I just want to ask you
1: one quick question, quick follow-up to that. When you first heard them, did you know he was from Nirvana,
0: like the drummer yeah. of Nirvana? You, there,
1: know that from was, you know? there was,
0: at the time, there was, like, no way around it. He was, Dave Grohl was being asked about it in every interview to the point that it, even as a fan watching the interviews, you almost felt the cringe and annoyance for him. Like, stop asking him this. Like, especially <laughs> especially by the time the color and the shape came out and he was still being asked. I, I think I remember there even being like a question on when they, they had an intimate and interactive on much music when this album came out. And I think he was even asked and he kind of didn't want to answer it. It's like, just don't bring it up.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. At, that
0: point, at that point, like now he kind of talks about it more and, and, but it's been like 30 years or whatever. So
2: I am guilty of listening to some of the lyrics on this album and wondering, Hmm is he singing about Kurt Cobain?
0: <laughs> no, definitely yeah. guilty of that. And there's like, that's pretty much all the questions he's being asked. It's like, oh, is this about Kurt? No. Is this about Kurt? No. Is this about, it's like, come on. Yeah. He doesn't just sit around and write songs about his friend all day. Yeah. Yeah. I know. It's hard
2: to get a start. Like after it's hard to follow up Nirvana, right? Like that was, and it's such a mysterious death. I'm not really that mysterious but you know there's yeah a the legend around it
0: yeah but also for him it, it was that first album he had made and he was just sort of playing it for people i believe this is the story that went on behind it that first album he kind of wrote and recorded and was kind of playing it for people and he wasn't sure what he's going to do start a band just kind of drop it on his own so he didn't know and then after kurt died it was sort of like okay let's try to foray this Onto something new. I already have this thing that people are enjoying that I played it for. So you got Pat Smear on board, who is also in Nirvana, and I believe there was even talks of Chris Novoselic being in the band originally. But it was like, we don't want to do like the Genesis thing and sort of replace the singer with the drummer. We'll, we'll. Uh, he kind of said, "Oh no, me. This is kind of too weird or whatever." So they found Nate. But, but yeah, it, it was unavoidable to even know that information at the time.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean. Just to kind of add on to that, I mean, he was, based on everything that I, I read this week, he was pretty deliberate in trying to separate himself, even though they did have Pat Smear for a bit at the beginning. But um, like like you said, yeah, Kirst wanted to, they were going to do it together, but then they didn't, um, just because they didn't want to be associated with Nirvana and Grunge. Yeah. Um, how, about, how about you, Ryan? What's your uh, relationship to Foo Fighters?
2: I was introduced to Foo Fighters uh, by an old friend of mine, Casey, that you guys know and well. Uh, so... Like he he showed me Foo Fighters as like the you know oh this is the drummer of Nirvana's band it's like they're he's it's okay it's okay it's like we'll listen to it because it's you know Nirvana's drummer but Mm -hmm. Uh, so uh, but I mean for I so I listened to Color in the Shape first and I and I like I liked parts of it more than others but when I got their first album I really really fell in love which is really odd because that's not I don't know I don't know what that is there's something about that first album there's like a rawness to it there's I I think he maybe because it is all him and so it is pushing the boundaries a little bit more yeah well he's younger taking more risks
0: well with that that album yeah I agree with you the production is a little more kind of low budget it has a more sort of raw, more energy feel and even just reading stuff about the color and the shape even the title track for the album, which was later added, which was titled The Color and the Shape, the reason it wasn't included was because he thought it sounded too much like something that would have been on the first album. So he was trying to grow from that, which makes sense because also at the time music was moving away from that sound. So And he came from a band who was in that, were leading that genre. So it would be weird to sort of stay there. I think that this was the right step to color in this sh- the shape to move forward musically. I think. Yeah. The results are, are up for to decide if you prefer it or don't prefer it. But if, if they would have just made a bunch of the first album over and over and over again, you'd run into the same problem, just different type of music.
2: Well, have we just done that with the second album over and
0: over and over again? Or
2: no, 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 no. no haven't. They, they haven't. That's true. That's not fair. That's not
0: fair honestly like listening this week because since i kind of took everything in like as it came out and especially like in the later years it just sort of became something playing in the background it wasn't something i was diving into i noticed that like this the swish and the styles for them going through the years they sort of kind of got stuck in that pop thing for a while but i think in their last like four i think four releases they've gotten away from that completely they're just like a rock band they've just embraced being like a hard rock band and i think the results are better like i know they still kind of get mediocre reviews for just being a generic rock band but like there isn't many generic rock bands around and you can't be generic when you're the only one doing it (laughs) unless it was done already (laughs) well you can say lack of growth but i'd say listen to it and you'd be the judge i don't say i don't think their new stuff is that derivative and the album the albums also vary in style you get some color and the shape sound you get some more aggressive songs they still have songs that sound like they could be on the first album on newer albums so i don't know i I feel like they kind of have a bad rap and i'm i was a part of that i I kind of would have the same argument but i feel like this week listening to them again sort of and going through the career it's kind of giving me a different perspective on them
2: yeah yeah i mean I guess Gordon, you still gotta answer the question though. But well,
0: I'll answer- <laughs> well, we're kind of getting ahead of ourselves, but
3: <laughs>
2: no, I-, yeah. I like what the
1: cover- I like the conversation, so we can get back into it. I just I'll answer real quick. Um I don't remember when I found out that he was the drummer of um Nirvana, like because I remember seeing um Big Me, that video, and that was like instant classic. I watched it again for the first time in so many years this week and I was laughing. It's hilarious. Um but at some point I, I, I learned that, I mean, it was everywhere, right? So I, I, lo- I realized who he was and uh, in the context of Nirvana. Um, and like with, with this album specifically, it was probably like the third or fourth album that I bought. Um, so I ended up buying it from like Blockbuster Video, which is a weird thing. They used to sell music back then. But um, yeah, so that that's kind of, it's kind of hazy where it is. But I remember it's like one of those um, kind of quintessential 90s bands that I always kind of followed from the beginning. Um, so that that's kind of my relation. And then they're always on the radio. They're like I said, they're they're one of the most mainstream rock bands you can you can uh, talk about. Um, but I, going back to what you guys were talking about earlier, uh, the first album, just looking real quick, it looks like it's pretty much a self-produced album. And then this one, they intentionally um, they decide to seek out a producer who would kind of move them more into the poppy stuff, away from that raw sounding stuff. So that's why they got Gil Norton, who produced the Pixies, and he was kind of influential in making the pop music that you hear on this album like the 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 hard rock with the pop uh poppy melodies
2: yeah i was thinking about like after listening to in so much last week how that's like a more raw sound and like the even the first foo fighters album is what the hell is that called what do we call it just self title just foo fighters okay um and that has a more raw sound and then it's almost like this is a return to Nevermind a little bit in, in the guitar tones in sometimes I'm like, oh yeah, that's really that clean distortion. That's sort of
0: yeah. I don't know this album still gets like as far as like standards of rock music goes for especially what we get today, it's still really aggressive a lot of the songs compared to a lot of the stuff we get today the, you may say the production is clean but again it isn't as clean as what we get today. It's still pretty raw sounding. Yes, compared to in utero, I'd say it's pretty tame. But it's still pretty, still a pretty, like rock and album. No, I, I, I didn't mean. I meant clean is like
2: everything is. Um, you know, like like, all, I, I think I it, know. Still, it's still heavy. It's still heavy, yeah, right? Yeah. But, but it, it's not. There's, there's no tension. You know, there's not as much tension. Everything is clearly mixed. And you can hear, like, even in the the softer tracks where there's more acoustic instruments and, like, clean guitars. Everything's very nicely mixed and produced and everything. It's, like, almost, like, mixed more like a... I don't want to say, like, a classic rock album because it sounds newer than that. But you know what I mean? Because it has a bit of that classic rock vibe going between the hard rock songs and the softer...
0: It was that... I think it was those transition years for the the rock music because those early albums from a lot of those bands were... You know, a lot of uh, smaller independent labels, that sort of thing. But then when it became, you know, the main sort of music, you had the Foo Fighters, this out, al- like this album, The Color and the Shape, had that cleaner sound. Even like Silver Chair albums moving forward had a cleaner sound. Stone Temple Pilots did. Even when we talked about Pearl Jam, their later albums took the more pop sort of sensibilities along with it. It was just a transition that they were sort of went through. I think part yeah. of it was age and what was going on. Totally. but uh, funny though that we, we talk about the one song on the album that i do feel has a very live feel to it though is see you yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. just it's, it's a very different track than anything else on the album but just sort of the pace of it and everything kind of gives you that the, live feel. they even put in like the applause yeah. break at some point you say- nice fake out just, just going back
1: to what you were saying about, like, moving away from, like, the raw sound, more, more polished or, or clear sounding, I guess, instruments or whatever. Is that just, like, part of the effort to move away from grunge music in, like, the first half of the decade?
2: I think that was, like, you know, death of Kurt Cobain. And with that, that, like, dirtiness, that sloppiness kind of fell out of style. Um, because, I mean, who was doing it?
0: yeah it became a different thing because and then we started after the late 90s and the early 2000s we tra- kind of transitioned to the garage rock with which was like a different sort of raw yeah it was like more back to basics sort of raw which a lot of rock stuff even foo fighter stuff in the later years moved towards that as well because it's sort of everyone went back to basics as opposed to the sloppy raw and sloppy energy of punk music it went back to more of just a clean rock sound
2: yeah yeah it's like it, it was the indie rock that picked up the the the, the pixies you know baton later on after yeah, that because, after that garage rock
0: well, you started getting all the subgenres too like noise rock and you know like even post-rock stuff kind of some of that stuff fell into that and just everything just became a sub-genre so if you enjoyed nirvana stuff you could find like a you know. 50 bands that's are just mimicking that sound.
1: Yeah. So I guess, I guess with that, we can probably move on to, I guess some more song specific questions from, uh, from the album. Um, so this album has, I guess, three legendary, <laughs> uh, singles from it. Uh, yeah, it has, uh, it kicked off with uh, monkey wrench Everlong and then my hero. Um, so that was all released in 97 to 98. Um, so I just remember personally, um, hearing like seeing monkey wrench and that was like that video like that was during my prime yeah my prime music video watching days in the 90s for sure and uh just like the the, the color i saw i watched it again this week but like the color when they're in that room like the red and the dark blacks and stuff and then they're they're doppelgangers or their twins or whatever are trying to break in and, and take the room back like that's even, such even, a video
0: just even at the beginning of the video when he walks in the elevator and is playing like the elevator version of uh Big <laughs> yeah e.
1: yeah great that's a good that's a good um but i guess i i can ask more specifically uh what do you guys think is the biggest uh the biggest song from this album well uh, what do you think,
2: I think we all
0: know this yeah yeah over time it, yeah. it's that at that point that song is like i don't know one of the quintessential nineties rock songs uh quint it he played it in freaking Friends during Monica and Chandler's wedding. You know what I mean? Like, it's such a big song. Like, it I, is. their most streamed song on Spotify, it's their most played song on like YouTube. They still perform it. He just a video came out a couple of weeks ago where he told oh, yeah, the acoustic. whole story yeah. of it and plays it acoustic. Like, mm-hmm. it's at this point, it's beyond the classic. It's, and it's their biggest song by the band's biggest song by far, I think. Yeah. yeah, just, just add on to that,
1: uh, when David Letterman did his final show in, uh, on May 20th, 2015, they they uh, interrupted their tour, they flew out to his show, they played it live, and then it was cut to like a montage of like all the years, the 33 years that Dave was David Letterman was doing all that stuff, like his, his show and, and classic moments and stuff, and it was cut over ever long. Uh, and David Letterman's on the record as saying it is his all-time favorite song.
0: Oh, that's awesome. I have to say, it's up there for me, too. Like, it's been a song that ever since I listened to it, there's never been a long stretch of time where I haven't gone to it. I covered it in almost every band I was in. It's a song, I, one of the first songs I wanted to learn how to play. Yeah. I don't know. It's sort of always been there. It's always been, like, a classic. And it's kind of a good bridging song from, like, the early 90s, mid, late 90s, when it kind of got into the – I don't know. It just – it's a very 90s song but it kind of lives outside of time at the same time
2: yeah it's iconic i feel like it was probably in guitar hero or something like that It was. i think it was in rock band yeah rock band yeah (laughs) and but it also just like in terms of like being a young musician there's a lot to learn from everlong even though like in that that acoustic video he's talking about like he doesn't know what chord it was or whatever but you you learn a lot like it's, it's very gratifying when you first realize, oh, all I gotta do is like add the low note to get that second chord. Oh yeah, that's really good. Oh, uh, it immediately sounds like that, that, the song that you know. And for the drums, it's got that, that uh, 16th note hi-hat double hands the whole time. So it's like a workout and all the fills in the chorus are like all off the beat. I really like to hear what the original drum, drummer on this album sounded like. Like, holy crap. The drums in that song are iconic,
0: oh, of course. Some, some of the tracks still have the original guy on it. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah,
1: there, there's only two tracks that do. Um, yeah. It's Dahl and...
0: And only the verse of Dahl.
1: Yeah, and Up in Arms. Those are the only two tracks. Everything else, it's a pretty funny story about that, but... And then, Taylor,
0: um... and then doesn't Taylor... Oh, no, I guess that's some of the bonus tracks. I'm yeah, on. so
1: he, yeah, he wasn't... Taylor Hawkins wasn't involved in this album at all. He kind of got recruited because the other... Like so, basically, quick, quick. I, I, I guess the story behind that is uh, the drummer. Um, what's his name? William Goldsmith. He was the drummer. They they recorded all of it or most of the album, and then they had a break around Christmas time. And uh, Dave Grohl wasn't happy with, and same with the producer Gil Norton. Uh, they weren't happy with how how it sounded or anything like that. So um, Dave decided to um, record some additional songs, and then they moved secretly almost secretly or without telling goldsmith uh to la to to record and he was just like yeah yeah we're just doing overdubs like that's what they told uh goldsmith the drummer and uh they're like yeah you don't have to worry we're just doing overdubs we don't need you right now and then so he ended up re-recording all the drum parts uh minus those two songs and um and then that's what they went with and then dave Grohl was like hey I, i still want you to be part of my band or this band i want um, I want you to tour. And then that guy was pretty much like, fuck no, I'm not doing it. So that's how they were able, or that's why they, they pursued um, Taylor Hawkins, who was then Alanis Morissette's drummer, live drummer.
3: Huh.
0: Yeah. And
1: they got him. So he was, he was always doing live stuff. So I think it was like their third or maybe even their fourth album where he was like actually drumming in the studio.
0: Yeah. I think it was the third album where he kind of came in as a full-time member.
1: Yeah. I, Dave Grohl could have very well, been I think he was still doing some of the, the, the drumming parts. Um, but yeah, Taylor Hawkins pretty much took over from that point on.
2: That's, that's it's crazy okay it's interesting how he wouldn't just tell him like you got all the almost the whole album recorded before you realized he his drums were no good like maybe he just wasn't easy to talk to and that's why you had to go to
0: LA I, secretly I, I, in, that, in that one documentary he kind of goes uh Dave Grohl kind of goes through it I think it was more so that he didn't like know how to tell him like he's only like he was still fairly young i believe so it's just I, guess, more like, I don't know what to tell him but i know i can go in the studio and just bang this out real quick yeah yeah i did see a note somewhere
1: um, apparently like gil norton was pretty demanding he wanted like the perfect take so he always had him do takes over so you have like nate mandel who's like he had to like up his game he pretty much had to like practice all his parts to be ready good to go and then um it was like numerous takes like i think I saw somewhere like 96, yeah, 96 takes um, that uh, the drummer um, Goldsmith uh, did for for one song. And I guess there's one take where, or one song where he put 13 hours of takes in for it. And so like, that's just the high bar. And then, yeah, plus on top of that, you have Dave Grohl, who's like, arguably one of the greatest drummers ever from one of the biggest bands ever, just kind of staring down at you and, and expecting a certain thing. Because when you hear interviews about how Dave Grohl talks, he often talks, he just hears and knows what parts the music when he writes a song he knows like okay this is how the drum should sound this is how the bass should sound this is how the like rhythm guitar and all that stuff should sound so he's kind of got his mind made up when he goes into it I'm sure he's probably a lot more dip- diplomatic now but when it's your second album and it's your name on the line you, you probably have a, a bit of a different attitude
0: well I do have to say though uh, as far as that goes like for the bass lines I, I do have to say they do have like a step up on this album as compared to the first one it's more of a has more yeah. of a presence
2: yeah there's some I've walking liked- bass lines
0: yeah, I've always liked Nate's bass playing. He's always been pretty good. And Sunny Day Real Estate's good too. <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah. They're classic.
0: Yeah.
2: yeah, if you gotta do ninety-six takes for a song. That's nuts. Maybe you're not ready to be in the studio. Like <laughs> I, I, if I was a producer, was I'd be like
0: from, He was also from Sunny Day Real Estate. As yeah, well. both those guys were, yeah. It's not like it was his first time ever being in a band or recording. I wonder just a different expectation, I guess. Well, this is not easy stuff. Like, Everlong is not easy.
2: Like, it no. took me it took me a lot of time when I was a teenager practicing it to get the timing of the fills right because they're off the beat. It, it wouldn't... Ex- and if that's not even... Rec- that's me going off of Dave Grohl's recording. If all you have is Dave Grohl telling you, oh, it has to sound like this, that's going to be a lot harder to, to put together. And I can yeah. see... Yeah. I can and see I think it's too. also worth noting, like, like you said earlier, Ryan, Dave Grohl's not
1: like trained he just he learned how to play drums and he learned how to play guitar by ear so he has no formal training no lessons so like to communicate that properly could be difficult for somebody who has maybe lacks that kind of training
2: yeah and it's not like he could have just recorded it quickly on his phone and then played it back for the guy it's like different times right it wasn't so easy to do that
0: stuff if you're gonna get behind the kit and show him you might as well just record yourself i know at
2: that point (laughs) at that point it's like Maybe that's what he didn't want to do. He didn't want to take the throne, you know?
0: Yeah. You wanted to keep him around for the live shows, but didn't want to offend him by being like, don't play on the album. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah.
1: so I want to ask, since you guys have both played this song live, is it like a fun song to play live or is it hard? Or is it just because it sounds great and everybody knows it?
0: Oh, it's a great song to play live. Yeah. Like playing that buildup is great. And plus everyone, whenever you play it, everyone in the crowd knows the song. Yeah. And, like, even just, like, playing the song, like, from going to, like, the verse to, like, that pre-chorus-y interlude part, you just sort of play the riff, like, harder. <laughs> so it's, like, kind of like, eh. Yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> um, it's great. But I will say that the hardest thing about it is probably singing it. Like, it's not, singing it and playing guitar, I don't think I've actually done that. I, I've, I've performed the rhythm guitar, I've done the drums, but I've never sang it. I've tried singing and playing it. I'm like, oh, this is kind of difficult. I don't think I've ever actually mastered that.
0: whole. How long I've waited here for you, ever <laughs> long?
2: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then you then you got to scream. I'm sure at some point, it's Foo yeah. Fighters after all.
1: Yeah. yeah. No, I, I I think yeah, this is pretty much a perfect rock song. You you don't even need to put like '90s in there. It just it's just a great rock song. Yeah. And I like the power. I think what you mentioned earlier, Anise, um, just like. The power, I guess, the, the precursor in between the, the first and the second verse where it's like, and she's saying, and then all of a sudden it's like, ber, ber, ber. like, it, it's just powerful. Like just listening to it right before I jumped on this, it's like, that's yeah. that's muscular, like uh, guitar riff, like everything's coming together. So uh, well.
0: like the guitars are just like so rich and full too. And, and, and on the, that song, cause on, on this album, as opposed to the first album, Dave Grohl's voice is a lot higher in a lot of the mixes as well, sitting on top of the songs. Yeah. But this is one of the songs. There's a couple of songs in the album where it kind of floats over top top of the music, and Everlong is one of those songs. So it kind of gives it that nice vibe along with the phasey guitar, like the thick guitars.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: And I guess I guess we also have to shout out like the, the music video is, is pretty classic. Like yeah. it's almost what like a Evil Dead ripoff directed by Michelle Gonnery, the great yeah. Michelle Gonnery.
0: And it's it, one of the only times where the song is extended for the music video. There's yeah, of- I was gonna ask, isn't it like reverse? It's kind of loop, and then they like jam out at the end again. The yeah, <laughs> they played it twice. And I remember after that video came out, and just being so prone to hearing it nonstop on much music, yeah. hearing it like on the album, it just felt too short. Like, give me that chorus again.
3: <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, it's only four ten, but yeah, probably on the on the
1: music video version is probably like closer to another 30 seconds. or am even closer. Yeah, to I think seconds. it's like four fifty. It's like
0: almost five minutes. That's awesome.
2: Yeah. No, uh, just thinking, just thinking about this song, I, I definitely have to teach this to my student bands. Once we get going again after this whole lockdown business, because yeah, there's a lot you can learn from it. And it is, it is going to, I think it's probably going to stand the test of time. It seems like one of those songs, like if not, the original version, somebody will cover it, you know? Well,
0: because even when you look at, like, their tops, like, Foo Fighters' top 10 streams that they show on Spotify, number one is Everlong with 462 million. And then also, eighth on the list is Everlong acoustic version with 137 million. There you so, go. Yeah. So, like, it's just a huge song, like, both of those versions. And like we said, they just released another video on YouTube of him talking about the song and then playing it. and that probably has another who knows how many million views like people can get not get enough of the song yeah. yeah and it's it's
1: funny that you say all that but i would never consider the song overplayed like no. it would never even cross my mind that i think it's it needs to be stopped at some point no i it, playing you want to play it again <laughs> uh, yeah you're absolutely right
2: yeah it's like it still doesn't matter how many times you've heard it in the past like if it comes on in a bar everybody's like oh yeah it's everlong or somebody's gonna sing along with some part of it. It's just, well, if you were born in the 80s or 90s.
0: Which, I don't know, for me, it almost felt like uh, when I was thinking about that question today, like the only real other contender I thought was Monkey Wrench. But Monkey Wrench, like obviously, I felt like it fell off a lot more like over time because I remember like when the song came out, it popped. It was when that, before Everlong was released, that was their biggest song. Yeah. (laughs) but uh, I'm like, oh, it seems like I kind of fallen off over time. I don't really hear it as much. But then when I looked, it's in their top ten, number nine, uh, streamed on Spotify. And then My Hero is on there too, number six. I actually thought My Hero would be bigger. I mean, I, that also was, could
2: have just been my Big Shiny Tunes three impression of things. <laughs> <laughs>
0: but also, My Hero has that uh, that big uh, pump from football because it was used in the Varsity Blues movie. So ever since that, it's like used for football. Like I remember in high school before, like every Friday or whatever day our football team played, they'd play this uh, My Hero in the morning. And even like when you're watching a football game on TV, they will play My Hero while going to and from break. Like it's become synonymous with football because of the movie Varsity Blues. And it's a great song. I would say it's
2: better than Monkey Wrench.
0: Yeah, I agree. I agree with that. I, I feel like
1: My Hero is like one of those songs that kind of just works in every situation. Like you can play it as a tribute to heroes, like literal heroes, or you can play it ironically, like you see the clip in Wolf of Wall Street. It's It still works. It's like, it's yep. good. Um, so yeah, I, I agree. It's, it's a it's a solid song. Um, when I was listening to it with headphones, I've never really, I don't think I've listened to it with headphones or recently, um, but when I had it turned up, you can kind of hear like, it seems like in the left speaker, left headphone, you can hear like a weird scratching that I never noticed, like, with the guitar going on, it's just kind of, like, like always running, like, underneath the, the, the song. So I thought that was kind of
3: unique here. Yeah, it's I
0: always I, I interesting. something new. It's always interesting to listen to songs. I know, especially of this era, like, in the 90s, it seemed like they were doing so much stuff in the studio to make songs interesting. And I guess, like, Walkman, Discmans was kind of new technology, too, at the time. So people listening on headphones, certain songs, you get, like, little treats of of things. It's kind of like even on Paranoid Android, where you get that robotic. Oh, like, yeah, yeah. Paranoid, but I'm an Android. It's, it's just subtle, like if you yeah, have it kind subtle. of turned up. There's a lot. Of, I, I find a lot of the 90s albums have that, like hip hop, rock, yeah. like a lot of it had a lot, a lot of that going on.
2: A lot of that also has to do with just the ease of recording. It went like the more you use computers. Think about it, the difference between cutting physical tapes, yeah. and pasting them together as opposed to like just a couple clicks on a computer. Huge difference, huge difference. So, you know, and when you start layering up a lot of guitar tracks, cause you know, you have infinite numbers, you can do as many as you want. You start hearing these like artifacts from interactions between them. So that scratching that you were hearing, like, I don't know what it was, maybe it was string noise, or maybe it was just the interaction of like different guitar tracks and some overtone getting pulled out. That 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 can happen, but you, in older recordings, you didn't get that because you, know, I, I you got did... four tracks.
0: I think partially because, like, I think it might just be a guitar, like, just kind of strumming the... Could be. Yeah. yeah that yeah, song's it's, it's, got they're, they're iconic
2: guitar. It's got iconic drums. It's got yeah. awesome vocals. Everybody sings lot. I, I know.
0: I, I love that melody, too. That's, that, that's another one where the melody, the su- lyrics just sort of float with the music.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess this... I think we were all unanimous on Biggest Song Ever Long. We all agree with that. Yeah. And then, uh, so I guess for most overplayed, is what do you guys think for overplayed if you had to pick something from this album?
0: I'm going to say at the time when this album came out, because it was sort of, it wasn't an official single from this album, but it came out the year after as part of the X Files movie and had a music video and got crazy play on much music. I remember nonstop walking after you, just nonstop on much music to the point where like even listening to it now i'm like oh
3: yeah it
0: stands out from the rest of the album to me just because it got played to shit back in like 98 99 because it was sort of the last dish single so they sort of it's overstayed its welcome
2: interesting i i don't remember hearing it too too much but i can certainly get the sense of some association with tv i don't know why like i heard it in commercials or something but
0: well, I, it was part of the X Files movie, so it might have been in like the X Files yeah. movie commercial or something. I don't know. Yeah. yeah,
2: that was a quick
1: piece of trivia about that one. That was one of the songs when they kind of split up. When they, when Dave Grohl re-recorded all the songs, he wrote that song as like um, his feelings towards the other, uh, the drummer. That like, as they were having the falling out, he 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 wrote that song pretty much about that whole situation. Um, oh, interesting. For for
3: uh, yeah for.
1: Yeah, for my overplayed, I had I had um, my hero just because I remember that song. That song was like everywhere; it still is everywhere. I'm not I I, I say I know overplayed always has a bad connotation, but I, I say that as like that's probably the one I hear the most often from this album. Um,
0: yeah, like but I agree. Like considering usually when you have like a bigger album, which I consider this a bigger album, uh, you usually get a lot of like non-album tracks that get a lot of play. But it seems like maybe because Foo Fighters just have so much music at this point and so many great tracks from a bunch of different albums, but I don't feel like a lot of like any of the deeper tracks on these albums ever sort of get picked out and talked about really, at least not in my circles, maybe in Foo Fighters fan clubs that they have songs they like or people who go to their their songs and they play live all the time. Mm -hmm. But I remember even seeing them live. I saw them on the one by one tour and I don't remember them playing that many songs from this album or the first album beyond the singles and maybe a couple other songs.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Well, what else would be like another single from the album? Like I, I would say maybe like February stars could be, but it's also kind of a slow build.
0: So it's like,
2: I, that I really may like, not do so well.
0: I really like my poor brain. I, yeah. Yeah. I think that's a good song. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I don't know. There, there could. I don't know. I feel like it's food fighters. You can, you can pick out any of these songs, and people would love it for some reason. <laughs> <That's
1: true. laughs> um, so I guess, I guess this can take us on to uh, underrated, um, or I'll, I'll ask favorite song after. But uh, most underrated, I'll answer that real quick. Um, you hinted at it earlier, East, but with the whole thing of um, Monkey Wrench, it seems like it was super big when it came out. It was the lead single but it's kind of fallen off over the years. So that's why I kind of want to give it like as a single, it's probably like, I mean, all three of the songs are massive, but it, it, I want to give it kind of like an underrated shout out as a single.
0: That was my initial lean towards, but now I'm sort of like a hybrid answer of like any sort of deep track from this. Like I find it weird that's- that there's no beloved deep track from this album, like one that just gets played all the time or was on a live album that became a single or something. I don't know. I just feel Definitely. like I feel like a lot of this album has been forgotten beyond the singles, which is a weird thing to say considering a lot of people rank it high on their lists of, of Foo Fighters albums. But yeah, I'd go with like a song like like I was saying, "My Poor Brain" is really good. Uh, I really like the, the the other one I mentioned. Um, the name is escaping me now. The one with the applause in it. Yeah, see see it. yeah. it's kind of like a different changeup, and it's it's something that Foo Fighters kind of get accused of, of being sort of one note sometimes, but I, songs like this kind of, what made these albums a little bit different at the time, they did have songs like that. It's kind of interesting to read that, a, read that apparently the band didn't want the song on the album and it was Dave Grohl that wanted it on the album. Huh. I think it's part of, partially because it is so different. Uh, but yeah, no, there's, yeah, I, I, I think those, a couple of, like any song really, like there's, Strange that no other song really has emerged from this I guess the songs that are big from it are so big that's probably why
2: okay yeah, so just fair. from people I've talked to who, who like this album, February stars has come up So yeah. I, th- I think I if, think if you did poll the fans that one would probably pull pretty high as it, from you know as far as non-single tracks go but outside of that one like I would say that the other songs, like you keep calling them deep tracks are not deep enough to, uh, to pull off that single level. I just think that they have some parts to them that are like kind of throw away. Like you might have like a good chorus and a good bridge, but the verse might be, yeah, well, it's that's, but the singles are like bangers through the whole, the whole song. I, yeah, they're, you
0: know? they're obviously on like a different level than the rest, but I don't know, like you said, February Stars is a great song. I remember that was one, like what Gordon was saying with the headphones thing, it always sounded really cool on headphones, and when I got yeah. a disc uh, that year, it was one of the songs I learned to appreciate because of that, like the, the big ending and just the chill sort of vibe yeah. on it.
2: Yeah, oh man, the, the greatest thing about that song, well, one of the greatest things is it builds up, like at the end, it gets really loud, but at the same time, it's slowing down. Like yeah. you can tell a drummer wrote this shit. It's so like it's rhythmic and it's that's like a juxtaposition you don't hear often. Most people are like, Loud, must go faster.
0: You know, I'll I'll go a different way for underrated as well. The song that was cut from the album, that's also the title track that was added on the ten year anniversary release or whatever it was, and it's part of the Spotify. The color and the shape. They put out the end. It's such a great track. I'm I'm not sure if, if you listen to it this week, Ryan. But if you do, uh, I don't know it. if
2: it was on the version. I I gotta check actually now what my track listing was.
0: Yeah, if your last yeah. track is the song "The Color and the Shape," you'd probably that probably be your favorite song off the album. <laughs> you know
2: what? I, I was listening to it and something came up after uh, like "New way, no home, way Home," and I was like what the hell but it sounded yeah, I, it sounded louder
0: so i'm like oh i thought i think this is just like i shouldn't have been listening on youtube I, that happened to me too because i remember when the color and the shape came on i'm like i don't remember the song and i really like it i'm like maybe it just jumped to you know when the cd album's done it'll jump to other songs i'm like oh, because i didn't really remember it either so i looked at my phone and it said color and the shape with the album cover so i'm like oh i guess it was on it and it wasn't until I was making my notes and I was putting down the song names where I was like, okay, it's not listed everywhere. So it was clearly a bonus track added later, but it's a really good song. It's a great song. If you only have the CD you purchased in 97, I'd say, check it out. <laughs> check out the song, The Color and the Shape. Go
2: buy the July version. It looks like it was on the Monkey Ranch single. It looks like. Yeah, so it is. I I looked into it because I'm in the
1: same boat as you, and when that song came on, I was like, wait, I don't remember. And this is, like, pretty thrashy, too. I
0: guess he said they cut out because it was too similar to Weenie Beanie from the self-titled.
1: Yeah, so I know it it was included as a B-side to Monkey Wrench, and so that's kind of where you would find it before. But, um, yeah, I definitely didn't have it on my 97 album version. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I guess for an underrated, um, a non-single underrated, I had, uh, Hey Johnny Park. I, uh, it, it's pretty, it's, I like the placement in it in in where the album is, and it's the third track. Um, and apparently the name of it comes from, um, growing up, Dave Grohl had, uh, like a friend, his name was Johnny Park and they're friends from like age, like I think five to 12. And then he was, he wrote this song and or gave it that title just to try and rekindle the friendship with that friend. Um, just to be like, hey, let's let's hang out again or something like that. Um, but yeah, I just like song. the whole thing.
0: A the whole song. thing. You don't like that song?
2: No. I like
0: song. I, I like I like parts. So continue, I, continues. I like the ver. I like the first, but not the the chorus of that song.
2: Really, I think the only good thing is the chorus, and it's not even
0: that good, so it's not worth waiting for. You know what? It kind of <laughs> reminds me of as well. Like just the setup of the whole song. Sorry to cut off Gordon, but <laughs> yeah, <it's laughs> funny. Uh, it kind of reminded me like the whole setup of the song. It's like a less twangy version of Interstate Love Song. I get that. Okay, and yeah. I also, I also wrote, this is funny, because when Monkey Wrench came, so sorry to jump around, but when Monkey Wrench, when I was like making my notes, I wrote for Monkey Wrench, the archetypical, like, good Foo Fighters song. A good Foo Fighters song has that energy, has a good hook, has a great bridge, and has a great Dave Grohl scream. And then for Hey Johnny Park, I wrote your archetypical, mediocre Foo Fighters song. I <laughs> have good parts. <laughs> not like a terrible song but it's not i don't know it's just sort of like that middle okay. ground
2: okay before i rip on this song more gordon tell us about how much you love it <laughs> uh, all right um no I, I think i like the course I, I i agree i i the
1: whole thing like hey am i selling you out i like the power of the the music and, and stuff behind that um i mean i think the course is probably you're right i, I agree with you Ryan. Right there that the course is probably like the best part of the song um i just for me it was one of those songs i remember growing up when i would listen to like you go monkey wrench and then you're you're going through the song you hear that song it kind of takes its time to build up a little bit so as a kid i would probably be more likely to to skip it but as i got older i kind of i kind of grew on me so that's why i threw it as an underrated
2: okay now rip it up yeah. our right? well okay I, I guess the main thing that i don't like about it is the opening guitar riff that lead guitar riff just sounds so dinky to me like da 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 deen-er. It sounds like something I would come up with. and Be like, no, I can't possibly write or write yeah, the rest
0: of this I, song. I have to throw I, this out. But okay, I was getting vibes like that all over this album. Where I'm like, okay, this sounds like stuff that we would write, but just a lot more simple. Blah blah blah. Not that I'm trying to overhype the songs we wrote, but they probably sucked. But, <laughs> but what I was great. But, but you also have to think like what like at this time, the stuff that came up before this was a lot more simple in this genre. Like a lot of the early grunge stuff wasn't doing stuff or was very reminiscent of the classic rock where it was sort of doing a different thing. Whereas this is more of like the modern post-grunge archetype was built on bands like Foo Fighters, Bush, and l- later Silverchair releases. So at the time, it wasn't really derivative of anything. It became derivative of itself later on in the future. But I think at yeah. the time, I, I remember liking Hey Johnny Park a lot more in 1997 than I did going back this week. I'll put it that way. Interesting. I, I, I think it's
2: funny that in that interview I sent you guys uh, with uh, Nirvana, Kurt Cobain was kind of saying how the sentence of that's just uh, guitar riff was kind of like dinky or he said it was like a bit boneheaded or something like that. I don't know. So maybe that's just, um, maybe that's just a bit of Dave Grohl's style. I don't know. So, is oh, it,
3: man,
2: no. <laughs> so do you like so i mean you went
1: you went to school for music ryan so is it like is it noticeable that like when you hear like this album or anything by dave Grohl, is it noticeable that he's not classically trained or formally trained
2: in music that doesn't that doesn't matter for rock music it doesn't you know how many rock musicians are not trained most okay. majority <laughs> most. of them I guess. <laughs> most of them don't know the chords. i mean i mean some of them i think dave Grohl probably because he was a drummer first i don't know if this is true maybe he's a guitar player first i don't know no, he's a drummer first was oh, he okay so yeah. you know coming at it that way you have yeah. such like a same deal with me you have like a rhythmic backbone so you can lean on that and you don't have to necessarily learn get too deep into all the you just have to know some a few chords know your power chords and then you the rest of the songs you just write using cool rhythms there you go so that's why a lot of this uh, like foo fighter stuff is is riff based i think probably because you can write cool rhythmic riffs and you don't have to know you know what kind of what's a cool seventh chord change that would move into this That's why also I think a lot of their chord changes can kind of be like cliche. Like, all right, I saw that chord coming.
0: When even when like I was uh, like, like me playing guitar, I was never classically trained either. And bands like this were perfect for me to learn with. And especially when I first started playing guitar, I was writing songs and we were playing, I was playing shows and I didn't really even know what notes I was playing really. Like if I stopped and thought about it, I could write it all out. But when I was writing a song, I was like, okay, E to A to F. Like i was just sort of sitting with the guitar in my lap and playing yeah
2: yeah totally you use your you use your ear first and yeah, yeah. you just you just I, try to go for it
0: i want to shout out a couple other <laughs> underrated songs i'm gonna call them okay think, okay we'll see i i think doll is a good mood setter at the beginning yeah, yeah, of the album like agreed. right before monkey wrench and i also wanted to point out enough space it's a good rock out album and the end of the track like the bridge into the outro is the most Nirvana-y it gets on this album. Yeah, and it more, is a little. The like, last one. Yeah, it has like the driving bass line and the guitar. It's, it's the most Nirvana-y of any of the songs on this album. Yeah, the gate girl string.
2: Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I was gonna say it's a little bit got a little bit more of the Foo Fighters self-titled album-ish in it too. It's a little bit more jangly, but it's also a great example of you know using some cool rhythm. It's it's like a six it's like a six four time feel. But it's, it's kind of like a four, four over six, four thing. So that's like, it's all based on riffs and rhythms, the whole thing. And then, and Dave Grohl's screaming. So like, in a sense, that's kind of when Foo Fighters is, is at its best as well.
0: Yeah, yeah. And okay, let's, let's, now that we've discussed these three bands, better rock, who has ranked these rock screams? Dave Grohl, Kurt Cobain, Gino Marino. Oh, you're not gonna even include sure. Maynard. Uh, well, Maynard's a
2: little, that's like a metal scream. Okay, okay, fair <laughs> enough, fair enough. We'll, we'll leave him out. Well, I, I'm not going to go first. Gordon, you go. All right, I guess I'll go. I'll go, um,
1: I'll go Chino. I like Chino's scream a lot. He uses it. He's not afraid to use it, and whenever he uses it, it's not, it's not bad or out of place. Uh, so I'll, I'll give him the edge. Uh, I like Dave Grohl's scream a lot. It sounds, it sounds great. Um, and... I guess yeah i guess that makes kurt third um but like he's he's got like a weird voice where it's like it like well it's probably just because it was grunge but it seemed like everything he was singing was like louder it wasn't really like he didn't have i know he's got like loud quiet loud and all that stuff but like it's not it, it's always it's always kind of raw and that's where it's not like he, when he screamed it sounds great too but like he's always had a rawness throughout it, so it's not much of a difference or a variation so that's why I'll give I'll give those two guys the edge. I don't know, that's just off the top of my head.
0: Yeah, off the top, I would go Kurt Cobain first because I like how, the unhingedness of his voice. When he screams, you don't know what you're going to get, really. Like, it's so just sort of loose. And i would rank Chino second for almost that same reason, especially, like, I remember when Hexagram first came out, I was just so amazed by that freaking voice. And Dave Grohl, though I do love his scream, it's, it can kind of be the same every time he does it, but it is a great scream. Yeah, so uh, I'll put him in the number three spot. Okay. Like especially when we saw them live, I don't know how his voice stood up. Like he was just screaming on everything, and he was screaming between tracks, and yeah, that That show was. And that show was turned into a DVD. Anywhere but home.
2: Was that Arrow (laughs) Hall that one?
0: Yeah. 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 We went together.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So and so I've seen them twice. I also saw them at uh, Molson Amphitheater at one point, and it was the same deal. It's like screaming in between stuff screaming things you used to sing screaming just when you're talking to the audience screaming this screaming that i was too much for me i was like all right like it's kind of becoming a one-trick pony like i know you can scream really great it's cool
0: but come on man (laughs) that's one thing i noticed in their live show too like it was like i've been to metal shows punk shows but that foo fighters crowd was in fucking tense like I remember like halfway through the show having the I was pretty close and I had to get out of there. I'm like, I'm freaking getting killed. I was getting killed during like Pete Yorn as the opener. Like it was pretty <laughs> crazy. And uh and uh I remember seeing a guy coming out of the pit with like a nipple ring ripped out as his blood oh, coming down. Jesus
3: like, oh. Christ.
0: But and then like they extend every song to be like 10 minutes long. It was a very exhausting show, but I could see it being great if it was i don't know arrow hall wasn't probably the best venue for that it was yeah. almost, it took like a small show vibe and put in a bigger venue and became almost too intense and i'm a right. bigger guy it was too intense for me i was like shit
2: yeah mostly amphitheater was not that great of a venue that well probably because my seats were right outside the um Well, you know, there's an overhang. You guys know what it looks like? There's like an overhang for a shelter, basically a rain shelter up until a certain row. And I was like right past that row. Mm -hmm. And Canada geese come flying over. And I'm just like eating or whatever. And fuck geese shit right on me i'm like all oh. out of nowhere and i'm like you know the place is packed and i'm i'm in the middle of the row so i gotta climb over everybody with geese and geese shit and like make it to a washroom like the place is packed and wait in line at a washroom with geese shit on me so yeah gross. i've never been to a food fighter show since <laughs> so was that dave Grohl's fault that the bird shit on you <laughs> yeah for booking molson amphitheater fuck that
0: place we you just got better seats and you wouldn't have got shit on I also blame the birds. But, yeah. So yeah, sorry, what was your ranking, Ryan? You said Dave oh, Grohl
2: yeah. third? No, uh, no, yeah, Dave Grohl I would put third. I would agree. It's just a, gets a bit much. It's really clean, but it gets a bit much. Although well, side we'll note, to, Does he have what? the best produced screen? It's, out uh, of those I, th- I don't know. I think it's just like
0: practice. I don't know how he does it because, you know, when I, we- I think he throws it out pretty loosely. But when it hits, it can be really good. Like when you get like a monkey wrench or a, uh, what's that? You know, like what's that like one? All my
1: life or pretender? Yeah, all
0: my life or pretender, something like that, where it hits really good. But then he, he kind of just, especially live, yeah, he just kind of throws it left and right pretty yeah. loose. Yeah. Speaking of all my life, you remember when we
2: used to cover that with fans of crime? Yeah. That, that, sc- that scream at the end of it, I literally would pass out. Like I would start seeing stars before the end of that note and I would just be like muscle memory, automatic, take me to the next downbeat until we got to the chorus. And then I could come back like my stars would fade. I I just, just about passed out every time. I don't know
0: how he does it a whole show,
2: like constantly, but maybe that That was was a particularly long, what's that?
0: That was a fun song to play too.
2: Yeah, that was, it took us a while to get that intro going, but.
0: Um, yeah. I forgot how, how many, like, I didn't realize how many Foo Fighters songs we covered. That's three. Everlong, My Hero, All you My Lear- Life. Yeah, you
2: learn a lot. You learn a lot covering Foo Fighters because, you know, he's, it, it's rhythmically interesting. So it pushes
0: yeah. you that it, way. It kind of fit with the stuff we were doing, it too, I guess. That's true. That's true.
2: Yeah. Anyway, so I would say Chino's number one. He's just my favorite scream. It's just like a distortion pedal. It's, I don't know, it's just got this tonality to it that is like a, almost like a sinisterness to it than that the other guys don't have kirkobain would be number two because i also like how it breaks like i in on a Neutro. there's takes of him like screaming and stuff his voice is like cracking and stuff like was that the best take so i guess
0: so that's,
2: that's what the that was I know.
0: <laughs> it's, also, it's also crazy to look even like going back to like bleach and uh Never mind. You look and look at his age, and you're like, that voice is coming out of like a 21 year old, 22 year old, however old he it was. It's like Jesus Christ, like it's a pretty crazy voice. Yeah, for sure.
2: Anyway, yeah. So he's yeah. got a good sc- scream. Dave Grohl's got a good scream. Just, just. I don't know where. Maybe he's not screaming as much anymore. He's a bit older since the last time I saw him. So.
0: I think they still have some tracks where you can give it, but yeah.
2: I mean, live though. We should check him out. I mean, when that's the yeah. thing again.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah, I guess a random piece of trivia is he's always chewing gum live or chewing gum in general just to kind of keep his throat moist, yeah. specifically yeah. for
0: screaming. <laughs> I remember he's always burp. Like, while singing, he would, like, burp in between songs and between lyrics and stuff. Yeah. Because yeah. he from his stomach, so he'd blow out a lot of air, I guess, push up a lot of air. Yeah. Maybe he was like just
2: a... in between. <laughs> sounds like a psychological thing. Like, he's afraid of getting a burp in the middle of a song, so he's like, i got to get it out in between... <laughs> I don't know. Um so I guess this can take us to uh
1: what, what's your favorite song? Um it might be the same as the biggest song. I don't know. Uh what do you guys uh for, I can answer first, whatever you guys want. Go for it. Um so yeah, I had I ever long is my first uh or my, my favorite. Um it's just it's just such a powerful song. Um I guess we don't have to talk about it. We've already done enough. So that's the one I had.
0: Yeah. Um, um, yes, Dave, I, I had I had pretty much songs we've talked about like Everlong, My Hero, My Poor Brain, Color in the Shape. Even though it's not really on the album, so it's yeah. if I because I I know we were, we talked about Everlong and My Hero were kind of the two ones we, we all sort of fond over. So I I throw in like My Poor Brain and Color in the Shape are also two great tracks that stand out to me.
2: Yeah, I agree with My Poor Brain. That's an awesome song. But February Stars, that's up there with Everlong with me for me. So like I wanna say February Stars just because Everlong's the the popular one. But obviously Everlong's probably the best song. So can't get around that.
1: Yeah. Reviewing or listening to this album this week, because I can't remember it's been a few years since I've listened to it from beginning to end. Um, it, it seems it's one of those albums where it when I remembered or I think back on it, I think there's more quiet moments or slower songs or or just uh, I guess yeah, just more quiet moments on on this. But in reality, every song maybe if it starts out quiet, it picks up and it shoots off. Like there's no real, I guess like like a ballad or just like a slow song or anything like that. Like
3: it's it's I, like, I, ever
0: long. this too. I think there's a the big reason to the I, I had the same notion for Foo Fighters overall. Like I remember Foo Fighters being like a lot more softer or quieter or whatever. Just kind of thinking of them in my head, and mm-hmm. I think it's partially because by the time like this album came out and then the, the album after this, you know, like learn to fly and stuff, new metal was the mainstream rock music. So everything was a lot heavier and a lot louder. So in juxtaposition, it was a lot quieter and even bands that were sort of like the continuation of this style of music, like a finger 11 was even those bands were like, they were sort of trying to fit in that mold between 90s rock and the new metal so they sort of had that edge as well Mm -hmm. so yeah at the time i felt like it sounded a lot quieter but listening now it's like pretty hard rock like it doesn't get like not much music nowadays is heavier than this album is or even the albums after this
2: yeah that being said i would say there's there's a few dips on the album um
0: oh which is fine
2: which are good like CU is a great and i actually really like walking after you i kind of wish they ended the album there i kind of wish they put new way home in place of hey johnny park but whatever i'm not in charge. <laughs> um and and the beginning of uh what is it uh, up in arms like that's pretty chill i i kind of wish they didn't like go to
0: punk rock hey, town after hey, that up in arms like i love the effect on the vocals the first half is a lot better than the second half. But yeah. it kind of, when it picks up, it kind of almost sounds like a generic, almost pop punk. Yeah, I almost like Simple Plan or Sum Forty One vibes. Exactly kind
2: of what I was thinking. I was like, so why? like why
0: did they do this?
2: <laughs> How was this a good decision? <laughs> yeah. So I, I mean, I, I understand just, the arena rock appeal of that. They're like, okay, let's kick it up, and that's probably all it was.
1: Well, I don't know if this factors into it, but that's one of the songs that William Goldsmith's drumming survived.
2: Does that matter, or do you think that plays into that? well the drumming in the second half is i i could see why dave Grohl would be like yeah i don't want to do that over it's fine <laughs>
3: <laughs> it's like,
2: yeah. um
1: so i guess ryan kind of hinted at it earlier um going into this i was like thinking of like what song do i skip if there's a song i skip usually if i if i like when i was younger i'd skip through it because i'm like oh, i want to get the singles or i want to get to like the hard-hitting songs um but listening to it when i'm older uh, i was like I was debating, I'm like, should it end on walking after you? It seems like the way that song ends, it would be like the perfect, you hear the footsteps out of the studio and all that stuff. And then all of a sudden it comes in with like a nearly six minute new way home. Um, But that song's really good too. I like the way it builds. So I think it's probably just the placement. It maybe was take out like one of the shorter songs and move this into the middle of the
2: album somewhere. Um, I don't know, what do you guys think? I agree with that.
0: Say that that again, if they would have done what?
2: Oh, taking the the New Way Home. Like, Back 13 it, get earlier up in the album.
0: Yeah, I agree. I was going to say the same thing. No Way Home could have gone even just after Everlong and before Walking After You and it would work. Yeah. But yeah. then the bonus, you get the color and the shape at the end, which is a pretty aggressive song, which almost could have worked. Like, I know it ended up getting cut, but you could have almost had it as a... I know we talked about this last few weeks, but as a secret song. <laughs> Actually, yeah. yeah, that's
2: what I thought it was at first. I'm like, there's yeah. not enough gap between this and the, the last song. I feel
0: like, it, it functions pretty good as like a secret song because it's more of like a hard, like a hardcore thrashier, more noisy song. So, yeah, it would kind of fit. Just have end on walking after you, and then have like a 10 minute space or some shit, and then come in with some noise.
1: Yeah, yeah, that, that would have been a good idea. Um, so yeah, I, I didn't really have a song. Like that was probably the. Song. I'm like, could you even end it on everlong? But you can't end it on everlong. You do need something after that, just to kind of. That's not the final piece of the album.
0: Yeah. And walking it's, after you is great. It's a good. It's a good. I also like when bands throw like, especially when a big single appears at like the second half of an album. I love. That. I don't know why, but I love that because yeah. usually, it's usually like first or second track. When it's on the late second half of an album, it almost tells you that the either the band or the studio or someone didn't probably think it was going to be a huge single. That's why it is later on the album.
2: I don't know how they could have missed that one, but...
0: I know, like, it's so... It seems so undeniable now, but life before Everlong, could you imagine Everlong going big? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe maybe
2: that's... Maybe they knew it and the whole album is just... Because, I mean, at least now, it feels like a build-up to Everlong,
0: in a sense. Because when it finally comes, you're like, oh, yeah. But even, like, uh, just thinking of now like at the time like when everlong came out as a single like I know we're only you know 12 13 years old but when everlong came out as a single and we were listening to it even five years after it came out did you ever imagine that it would become such this iconic rock song like almost no i I, I thought monkey wrench was that song yeah, yeah. It, it almost felt like it when the singles dropped a monkey wrench would have been the song or something off the first album or even learn the fly i don't know it just seems like could have been anything
2: yeah i'm not it i'm not sure what it is yeah something about everlong
0: yeah and resonated with us we chose to cover it like five years after it came out so that says something
2: i mean maybe that that's part of the driving force i don't think a huge part of it but just it's fun to play on guitar so yeah it's an easy one to recommend as a cover
3: yeah
1: yeah, so um, I guess just a little bit as a, like a side note, I mean, this album can almost be considered like a concept album because the whole, when when Dave Grohl was writing this album, he was going through his divorce uh, with his wife and, and just battling everything, like the infighting within the band and, and dealing with that. Um, so that's, the way Dave Grohl describes this album is like, it's like almost like a therapy session where at the beginning of the album, it's like very raw like middle of of, or like the harshest parts of the divorce and then he's like getting through it and he finds somebody else so when it's like getting to everlong and towards the end that's where he's kind of like uh he finds somebody new he's and the whole thing of like um the 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 lyrics in everlong kind of play into that where it's like it's like okay yeah things are good right now i know they're going to be bad but like we're going to keep working and we're going to go through it anyway we're going to go like it's going to go the way it goes um, so it's kind of like originally he, instead of the artwork that it has, he wanted to do uh, just like a therapy chair on the cover of it. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Know,
0: But like going like when I was listening through again today, I kind of followed along with the lyrics and stuff. Yeah, some songs are about stuff seem like they're about, you know, relationships and stuff, but then other songs seem like they're about nothing. So I wouldn't go as far as to say the album is a concept album.
1: Right, yeah, I, like not that far, but. We
0: place it beside other concept albums. It's like, it's pretty, pretty thin to say that. Yeah, yeah. And even some songs, like, just read it, because I even remember, like, again, like, quoting an intimate interactive, he'd be, like, talking, like, this song's about holding on and not letting go. It's like, OK, generic, <laughs> but whatever, can I rock out to it?
2: <laughs> yeah. Um. You can twist it, right? You can twist it. Yeah. it. That's part of the reason you you make your lyrics ambiguous, so people can yeah. twist it into whatever story they want. I thought every
0: song was about Kurt Cobain. Yeah,
2: that's what <laughs> I thought. Oh. At least February stars.
1: <laughs> um, so for the album's artwork, I did have a song, but I couldn't find it beat the crap somewhere but um I did I don't remember any crazy liner notes but I do uh, I did read that the shape and the color that title comes from uh, one it. of their touring managers would just go to like whenever they stopped in the city he'd just go to thrift stop, uh, thrift stores and just buy like random crap so one day he bought a bowling pin and it had red and white uh, stripes on it and he, he remarked he's like I like the color and the shape of it so they thought it was funny and rather than Come up with a title that had that played into the the themes and the meaning of uh, of the album. They just decided to go with a random uh, a random title like that. And then one other thing, I don't know if you pointed this out earlier, Nice, but uh, the coloring, uh, the word color on it is a U, and it's a tribute to the producer uh, Glenn Norton, who is British. So it's it's not like a Canadian reference. But when I was searching the album today, I'm like, wait, is this is Wikipedia just doing this because I'm Canadian?
0: But it's no, <laughs> well, I remember that being. I I didn't remember the reason why. But I remember just being like, "Oh, nice! They built it the like Canadian British way." It was kind of neat. Yeah, Honestly, yeah we like
2: we too. like our use up here in case yeah. nobody knows what we're talking about.
0: Yeah, if you don't get our sense of
2: humor, then that's on you. <laughs> um,
1: so, did you guys have any other um, any other songs or anything else song specific questions or things that you want to mention that we may have left out?
0: Uh, I think we touched on almost every song.
2: Yeah, I can't see anything here we haven't talked
0: about. Wind up, good rock out song has kind of a sexy guitar riff on that one.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was that. That was good. The, the, that was the one where I thought like the verse was a bit of a throwaway. There wasn't much going on there, yeah. but that's like you know typical.
0: Yeah, like that's something uh, Foo Fighters I think fall into like on every album. Just again, it's sort of like what we we're talking about with Pearl Jam, where their style of music it, it's you can't if you're going to leave that box it kind of opens it up and they kind of lose their what makes foo fighters so mainstream and popular because even on like later albums where they tried something different fans were split on even when i listened to it as someone who has a more wider range of music i'm like this isn't that different <laughs> which, yeah which uh and then you kind of read that was sort of like the breakup of fans it's like some fans are saying this is too different some fans are saying it sounds derivative and to me as an outsider I'm like it sounds good I don't know like was it
2: the double disc where you you think people started to split on them or uh,
0: I think so uh getting to like more of I don't know for what Gordon wanted to jump to next no no yeah how how often is this in your rotation we can talk about the other stuff uh okay so how often is it my rotation Uh, For me, Foo Fighters, I have like a shit ton of songs from like every album. On like, I have like a giant playlist that I keep constantly bringing up. But I have uh, a bunch of songs from every album on it. And I was even surprised, like, when I was going through to listen to albums, and I noticed that songs downloaded pretty much from every album. I'm like, oh shit, I forgot that I have all these songs on a playlist, and I hear them regularly. And then even listening to the albums, I was like, oh shit, like, I remember like a lot of these songs. So I probably. You know i tried to stay up with every album as every album came out i would listen to it and keep it in my rotation i've been listening to them a lot lately because their new album came out so i've been listening to songs from that which led me to listen to older songs plus this week of covering them so i've been listening to a lot of foo fighters this last like six months but yeah they're in my playlist fairly regularly i have like a love-hate relationship with them which we'll get into more when i talk in my rank and their legacy and everything. yeah
2: right that's kind of yeah that's like they're not they're not in my okay so usually it's their first album that i'll go to like every couple of years I'll, I'll remember like oh yeah this this song that i'll put on i don't know any one of the first four tracks are just amazing one after another and there's lots more great on on that album but uh even when i put on this for the podcast I started listening to it and I was like yeah and I put on the other Foo Fighters album I listened to that first. But I don't know, it's so that's really where I go where I go to so what in terms of the rest of their discography, it's like songs here and there, like uh, some singles off of uh, a couple or a couple favorites off of uh, an album here or there, like a couple of the acoustic versions or something like that. But um, yeah, I don't like regularly listen to Foo Fighters because, I mean, they're not put, like, usually over the last few years when they put out something new, I'm like, that, that could have been really good. But then you just went to that thing that you always do. So, so in do you that find- sense, I'm not that, I'm not that inspired by it. So, I will go to it have, for nostalgic reasons.
0: Have you gone back, though, and listened to, like, their newer albums? Or are you just judging them off the singles? Because I'd almost say that's two different animals. Really?
3: Like
0: yeah, that's like it like from that's something I've noticed like especially like in the later well later years have been a little different but especially in those middle years like the juxtaposition from like singles to album tracks was almost like two different albums almost like the singles were almost made for the radio whereas the album was made as like a rock album.
2: Yeah, no, I think I stopped actually listening through the whole albums after In Your Honor. I think in you, your honor's okay. list. Was that, yeah, the yeah. Double, is that the double disc one? Yeah,
0: that's the double disc, that's the double disc. Yep.
2: yeah. Yeah, I don't, I don't know what it was after that, but yeah, I would hear the singles and be like, I don't really want to check that. I'm, I'm not too too inspired by it. So mm-hmm. I, I think it's just... So, but, you if never, I could, but, if, but if you're
0: saying... They shouldn't have put those songs forward but, then. But here, I'll, I'll put it this way though. For I think Foo Fighters, something like this is kind of... Uh, really like it's good thing to bring up for them do you need to be inspired by the food fighters they just seem like a party rock band that you put on like when you have friends over or when you're just hanging out or chilling or rocking out they don't seem like a band that's trying to make any sort of i know their one album they kind of got more political in their lyrics or whatever but overall they're just pretty like they're a pretty safe band like you can jump to any album and there'll be songs that are good though you'll have some slow tracks some hard tracks some medium-tempo medium stuff. Like, like their albums are pretty... Each one is pretty well-formed around. You can say they're mediocre, but mediocre isn't really a bad thing. It's just, yeah, like you're saying, they're not really inspiring and reinventing the wheel with their releases. Like, they didn't take the Radiohead route where every album is like a whole different monster. But to providing rock music in an era where it's very scarce, especially in the mainstream. so. Yeah. I give them kudos for that, and they kind of stuck to their guns in a way. I feel yeah, like, just, they have, yeah,
1: just to add on to that like, whenever you see Dave Grohl in interviews, he's like, he's almost quick to say, like, um, this, uh, when if you come to a Foo Fighters show, you want to see some crashing drums, you want to hear some poppy hard rock tunes, and you want to hear a bunch of guys playing guitar and doing that. That's what we do, and that's that's my lane. Um, like, they they had. They are, there's always rumors that they're breaking up and whatnot. And a few years ago, they had a video where they're like, Dave Grohl, as a joke, um, was like, I'm just going to play like synthesizer. He was talking with Butch Vig, they're in the studio. He's like, you just got to play like keyboards and synthesizers. And then the other guys are trying to find a replacement for Dave Grohl. And they finally settle on Nick Lachey uh, from 98 Degrees. But like, they're always kind of joking and poking fun at like things that aren't traditional rock band kind of setups or, or, or sounds. Yeah.
0: And I, yeah. think also, yeah. I think also Dave Grohl realizes what the, what the Foo Fighters is. Cause it's like, he does do other stuff, especially Dave Grohl himself. Like he's work, done work with like, uh, Queens of Stone Age. He's worked with Nine Inch Nails. He, uh, had that, them Crooked Vultures project. He did ProBot. He did that Sonic, that documentary show and where they made the soundtrack. He worked with a bunch of different musicians. So, It's not like if you're into Dave Grohl and you take even just Foo Fighters out of it because Foo Fighters is very much Dave Grohl's baby. But like Dave Grohl does get other things out of him. but 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 he knows what Foo Fighters is. And when he comes back to Foo Fighters, he knows we have to make a rock album. And they were even saying it for one of their albums. I think it was Concrete and Gold where it's like sometimes we have to just go in there to make a rock album. And I feel like around the time where you're saying you fell off, that's kind of around the time where I sort of fell off too. And I think it's because they were trying too hard to almost make songs for the radio. It seemed like a lot of their stuff was radio friendly. Whereas I feel like after wasting light, they were like, okay, we're just, let's be a rock band. And they, and ever since then they've kind of, yes, you can say a lot of it, the albums don't vary too much in and of themselves, but they're all like pretty good rock albums. Like they're not reinventing the wheel or they might not be inspiring to some people like us. But for younger people, where there is no rock music, there's still Foo Fighters that's still pumping out albums that are selling well and yeah. debuting in the top five.
2: It also seems like they're a pretty cohesive band. So mm-hmm. keeping you, knowing where what you are, what you guys are like, what the identity is, and you just you go there. You don't have you don't have to be worried about the singer being like, okay, we're gonna do everything with synthesizers this album. Like you don't, if you just like everybody gets it and you just trust each other that's going to help keep the band together it's going to help the, the whole project so yeah i could see that being part of the part of the motivating one, one motivating factor but like i just wanted to point out that dave Grohl is also like a really good songwriter he did write everlong so even though there may not be any of these like genre spicy mixing things up or anything like that throughout foo fighters album you might get a little bit here or there but um you're going to find these gems of really well-written songs so worth hunting for.
0: Yeah. And I, and like I was saying earlier, like the album, uh, uh, concrete and gold, I feel like they tried a lot of different stuff and it does, that album does have a very different vibe. Even the production sounds different. It, I like that. I like that album a lot and, and it seems like fans were split on it. So that's sort of like their, their the issue with being a band of their size is that if you do take that experiment, you can get the Radiohead route where maybe you lost some fans, but you gained a lot of new fans. But Foo Fighters at this point, they're just sort of pumping out music for their fans, trying to put rock music out there and keep it on the map. So yeah, I don't think he's too concerned with like reinventing the wheel at this. No, point.
2: no. I mean, people, even when learn to fly came out, I remember people like, Oh, they're, they're super poppy now. They're just like yeah. a pop band. It's like, what is <laughs> like, they can't even deviate that much they Yeah, have a clean well, guitar. I-
0: I would say I was one of those people when that song came out. I wasn't very big on it, but the album was good. There was a lot of good songs on it, and that song I do feel sounds is better live. I don't know, maybe it's just the production on it, or maybe it's just it got overplayed. It got, they made that goofy video, and it was getting overplayed. And I'm just sort of like, I'm sick of this at this point. And I was older, yeah. so my musical tastes were changing, and
2: or was yeah. broadening. First so. two tracks on that album though, like so good. Like it starts. With... Oh yeah. Stack Stackers, records, yeah. yeah, and then and then, then breakout. It's just like two, rock and yeah, great song. Yeah,
0: a lot of Yeah, it's a good album. There's a lot of good tracks on there. Mm-hmm. I
2: think the other
1: thing is too that's worth
2: considering is
1: like since Dave Grohl's such a, a presence, like he's done, he's made music on his own his entire life. Like he could just go the Beck route and make albums on his own. He's done it before, but he prefers to be in a band and have that camaraderie. Um, so I think I think he often takes his talents elsewhere to South Beach. But um, no, like like you mentioned, like on the other bands, um, like that he's done, like Queens of the Stone Age, which we're going to talk about next week. He did the drumming on Tenacious D's first album. He's done drumming for Nine Inch Nails. The list is on and on. So I think he uses, like he's not afraid to use his energy if, if he's like, I want to get back into like more of a hardcore of a punk kind of thing. I'm going to go work with like Nine Inch Nails. Or I'm going to go work with Queens of the Stone Age.
2: And you can also tell that he's a really nice guy. And he doesn't have this stuck up ego, which is why he can let the band, his baby, be about the people there yep. and not about himself, right? That's. I mean, he was the drummer in Nirvana and he had. He was fine with that. He was like, yeah, I can sit at the back. He knows how to be at the back. So it, yeah. it, it makes for a really, that level of humility makes for a really great front man. And I think that's why he's known as like probably one of the best rock and roll front mans, I mean, that are still around.
0: Yeah. You see that uh, earlier, I think, I, I guess it was last year, where that little girl on the drums covered, I forget which Foo Fighter, or a Nirvana song, or a Queen, I forget what song, but a song that Dave Roll plays drums on, and then you kind of like, it? yeah, oh, and then okay. he responded to it. Sorry? They had the drum battle with Nandy. Is that what it was? Yeah, it was like the
1: little the little girl. They were going back and forth. I think that yeah. was, but... Um, yeah, I yeah. do remember that he did. Dave Grohl, like, I mean, we we can spend a few minutes to talk about Dave Grohl. I mean, he does seem to have like he seems very honest and and he's always got a great sense of humor. Uh, which for a guy who's been through all the stuff he's been through, um, it seems like he that would he wouldn't have that. But he seems to be he's not afraid to be engaged with his fans. That's a good example. Um, another example being like I think in two thousand six, like some miners were trapped in in uh, a mine that collapsed in Australia, and they're like coming up with plans to like rescue the, the miners and they're like, Hey, what well, can we pass you just so like to cause it's going to take hours or days for us to, to rescue you. And they said in your honor, uh, cause I guess that was the big album out at the time. Um, and then, so he wrote like a personal note and he's like, whenever, when you guys get out of here, let me know any show you guys want to go to, he's like, we'll have a couple beers. And he's like, and he ended up writing a song for those guys. So he's always got like a, a very, he's, he's very engaged with his audience.
0: Yeah. He's definitely like the people's rock star.
1: Yeah. And I think yeah. that's probably why he works with so many other musicians, because they just kinda like love to work with him. He's always like he's like, Yeah, let's let's jam right now. And he just like shows up at like wherever Prince is like he had us a story about Prince where he's like Prince is like, Yeah, we should jam sometime, and then Dave Girl just showed up and they end up jamming in like an empty Coliseum, just the two of them. Like you, the stories he's, he's got are probably endless.
0: Have, so
3: you
0: have you seen that? Have uh, you seen that video from like that Sound City documentary thing that he did? I guess it's on like the soundtrack too, but it's uh it's Dave Grohl on drums, Josh Homme from Queens of the Stone Age playing bass, and Trent Reznor playing piano. And it's no, like, the song is called The Mantra. It's just like this, cool they're just like sort of jamming out, but it's really cool. And it's like, you can see like three of my personal like rock heroes just in a room just jamming out. It's like really cool to watch. Like, it's, it's cool to have moments like that. And I remember even just going to see them Crooked Vultures when they did their thing and They didn't have an album out. All they had released was like a snippet of one song. All we knew that it was Josh Homme on guitar and vocals, uh, John Paul Jones from Led Zeppelin on bass and Dave Grohl on the drums. And I'm like, okay, I'm buying tickets. And me and my friend, Emma, we drove down to Toronto, knew nothing about what the music was going to be. And it was an amazing show. When it got to the part of the song where they played the snippet, the crowd went wild. It was the only part we knew. And And I was like, this is like, a bucket list thing for me is like I can cross it off the list. Like I've seen Dave Grohl play drums live. Like it's literally like like I saw it, like he went behind the kit for like a minute or two. Yeah. At the, yeah. At the yeah. Foo Fighters show, but no, I can cross it off. I watched like a full show with him playing the drums, and it was fantastic. Yeah. So what's it like seeing that? Like, does he bring like a different
1: energy, or is it because you know it's Dave Grohl that like your focus is on the drummer as opposed to like other bands where it's like it's on <laughs> everything or this. Movie?
0: It was hard to know what to focus on because, like, I'm such a big fan of like all three of those guys on stage, and yeah, it's nice. just I don't know what to look at. Like, you're just like I've seen Queens of the Stone Age live like a hundred times. So Josh homie I've seen, but like even John Paul Jones, I'm like I'm never probably gonna have an opportunity to see this person live. Like Led Zeppelin isn't reuniting anytime soon, and I doubt he's gonna work on any other projects that I'm gonna care about. So, so it was that was very once in a lifetime experience. I know there's been talks of them doing another album. If they toured, if whatever is even allowed, that's a whole nother conversation. But (laughs) if they come again, I'm going 100%. Let's just put it that way.
2: (laughs) So that's really interesting. Nobody knew the songs, but everybody was probably just glued to the people. So it didn't matter. So it didn't matter. That's, yeah. Man, I love seeing bands jam. Like when it's, when it, you, you, when, Cause we've all like, well, sorry, Gordon, not you, but we've jammed in before and we know what it's like. You're just in a room making shit up. I want to see them do that. Like sometimes I could have some pretty good moments. Imagine them in a room,
0: those three guys just jamming out. That'd be kind of like a cool thing to like happen. Like I know it's kind of a cool thing now that we get with, you know, a bunch of comedians have podcasts now. So it's cool to hear all these, like, you know, you get Bill Burr and Tom Segura sitting and having a conversation or you get, yeah. You know, you just get it's kind of these cool interactions with people. It'd be cool to kind of get a similar type thing with like bands. Imagine yeah. just getting, you know, a bunch of musicians in a room just to jam. Like, don't make me an album. You don't have to write songs together. Just put out a cool jam and then pe- let the fans pick out parts they like, pick out parts they don't like. And it kind of probably be like a cool experiment. If yeah. anyone ever try it, it seems like it would be a kind of cool thing to do. But. Yeah, just do it live.
2: Dave Grohl, if you're listening, set this up. You can get all your contacts. You can set up some jam. I
0: guess guess that's the whole idea of that. That sounds studio, whatever document. Yeah. There's also Sonic. Oh, we already did this. Okay. Good work, Dave. But like more of an ongoing thing, like that was made for TV. You know what I mean? Like it, that has like a motive behind it. It'd be cool. Not that this wouldn't, but it'd just be cool. More of a loose, not as planned and produced thing. just people, just more of a raw look at it.
1: So like Dave, Dave Grohl should have a podcast. Maybe they jam at the end of it or something.
0: That'd be really awesome. <laughs> that'd be that'd be sweet. That'd be
1: sweet. Yeah, I feel like Jack White released a documentary a few years ago. I can't, the name's slipping my mind, but I think he had some similar feel where he was like in a studio and he would just invite people like legendary down to like indie people and they would just jam and, and discuss like, I think he does, he has a session with like Edge from U2 and they talk about like some U2 songs and why why he does it a certain way or uses you're
0: not, you're not talking about that documentary that's jimmy page the edge and jack white and they talk is that yeah that might be the one then yeah that's a documentary it's not a jack white show it's called the might get loud it's oh, yeah, yeah right that's yeah, yeah. I, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah that's a pretty good doc
1: yeah it's been that's gotta be pretty old i don't remember like mid-2000s or yeah,
0: probably like 10 15 years ago now
1: and then I also did read that um, Dave Grohl doesn't do drugs like he used to do smoke weed and LSD back in, in, uh, up until his twenties. Then he kind of just gave up on that. Uh, he's never done like hard drugs like Coke or heroin. Uh, he's seen too many people die to do that, but apparently he's like uh, a fiend for coffee. He had, he had to go to the hospital in 2009 because he uh, had chest pains from drinking too much caffeine. Um, um, but I guess when you see him, like, and even in interviews he'll, he's, he'll say it, um, that when he was younger, he just like, was crazy like he's comatose now and he was like had crazy energy maybe
3: ADD or something when he was a
0: kid I know like he's super against like the whole drug thing because I think there was a point where Taylor had like a drug issue and OD'd and stuff and he kind of like kicked him out of the band or something briefly for his own sake I don't know if they've released anything during that time but
3: Mm
0: -hmm. I remember him being like he's like I don't want to watch like another band member fucking die of like drugs so clean yourself up I believe ever since then he's been clean as well
1: Yeah, and I think it served him well. Like, I mean, he's got, like, his his full brain. So he's not, as they get older, you can see, like, they almost bring uh, former members back. Like, Pat Smear, like, I I don't think he was into drugs. I I think he was just, he left the band originally because of exhaustion and stuff like that. But um, it's funny how he just kind of, the band keeps growing. Like, Foo Fighters was, like, almost, like, was one guy. And then it became, like, almost like a three-piece. And then it was four. And then now it's, like, up to
0: six people, I believe. So it keeps growing. Yeah, well, because Pat Smear, when he wanted to come back, I, they didn't want to kick out the other guy and I'm sure <laughs> back.
2: well there's like 10 oh. guitar tracks layered up anyways yeah know.
1: yeah yeah no I mean I always thought I've I've said it to kind of privately in conversation but I was I've always thought like just the stories and stuff that Dave Grohl would have like if I could die and just come back as like anybody currently living like Dave Grohl would probably be it like he's like guys like Forrest Gump but like he, he doesn't have the low IQ or the limited IQ
0: there's that uh, documentary that debuts today where it's like called On the Road or whatever, where Dave Grohl's driving around, I think just talking to musicians and stuff. just getting different stories. So that would be cool. And he released a song with his daughter. I believe it's a cover that sounds really cool as well called Nausea. Yeah, he
1: sent that to me. It sounds pretty good. Yeah. Um,
0: And yeah, it's like,
1: I don't know, his energy is pretty contagious. So I like, I would almost put him in like the same vein as like, like Tom Hanks or Snoop Dogg, like he's almost like an American treasure in that way.
0: Yeah. yeah, at this point, he's just like one of those celebrities you can picture just sort of anywhere. Like, just rub, he'll play at the White House, he'll play on The Tonight Show, he'll play on SNL, he'll be on like every podcast, he'll do everything, you know?
2: Yeah, yeah, nobody's going to cancel Dave Grohl. I don't think so.
0: Hopefully not. That would suck. <laughs> That'd be really depressing.
1: Yeah, I think the only two people that I've ever... That I know of that a publicly spoken negative about him was like William Goldsmith who is the drummer from from this album and uh love but like at Nirvana's induction into the hall of fame they hugged and apparently they've buried the hatchet so yeah, yeah. that's the power of, of Dave Grohl
0: yeah I can't see why no one would hate Dave Grohl
1: yeah it's gotta be great um so I guess this can take us to um the album ranking where do you rank this album in the band's discography uh, who wants to go first, or do you want me to go? Well, well I'll go well. first.
2: I, I think I've only got half the discography under my belt. so. All right, go for it. Um, so, like you already know, I've also revealed most of this throughout the podcast, but uh, their self-titled, I put, is number one. That's my go-to. I just, I, I love the the grunge bit that was left over on that album. And um, I then I would put... The Color and the Shape is actually... I would say okay it, it was tough for me to decide between that or there's nothing left to lose for number 2 but I, I in the end I think coloring the shape one out it just has everlong on it so <laughs> and my hero it has like the singles are good from the other one too but yeah and then I put uh, there's nothing left to lose and then one by one and then in your honor so, so for, the
0: release order of what you've heard.
2: So, so you, as you can see, I, why I would stop listening. Cause it's like, yeah. it's like,
0: all right, maybe I'm done. So I'll, I'll do mine next and I'll, I'll, I'll give a little insight. I'm going to go from 10 to one. I'll go reverse order. So number 10, I have in your honor. So that's like my least favorite. I, I feel like the first album starts kind of good. And then it kind of goes generic in the second album, like that acoustic or slow yeah. or whatever. I never got into it. Like for me, when it comes to that style of music, I have like certain artists I go to, especially when this, at the time this came out, I was, you know, big into a lot of the singer songwriters. So it seems sort of lame to me. And even listening uh, this week, I stopped it halfway through. I'm like, I can't get into this. So it's mainly because that second album being so weak that it's at the bottom. And then I have Echoes, Silence, Patience and Grace at nine, and There's Nothing Left to Lose at eight. Those two, I feel like, because at that time I stopped sort of paying attention to them because I wasn't a big fan of those albums because I didn't like the direction they were going. But but they were, they switched courses obviously after that. Sonic Highways, I didn't really listen to a lot up until this week. Like when it came out, I listened to it and there was a couple of tracks that I had on my playlist. But this week I kind of got into it. It was a good album. The The Medicine at Midnight, the new one that came out this year. I really like, and it's short, kind of breezy to get through. I have that at six. Number five, I have One by One. And I think the only reason that's ahead of Medicine at Midnight and Sonic Highways is nostalgia purposes, because there's some singles that I really love on that album. Then I have Wasting Light, which when that album came out, was like I was like, they're back. I was in love with that album. The song White Limo is amazing. Great album. And then I have Concrete and Gold at three, which is their – last album which i thought was a good wow. yes i thought it was a good change of sound like the production is different the songs do a lot of different things i thought it was like it, i i know a lot of fans i guess are split on it but i really enjoyed it especially this week when i was listening through it was a good change of pace i think i'll probably like that one anyway continue. Yeah. and then number two i have the color and the shape which again i think It's a good album, but at this point, I don't know if it would be ranked this high if I didn't have so much nostalgia connected to it, but it does have songs like My Hero, Everlong, and Monkey Wrench, which are my favorite, some of my favorite songs by them. And then number one, I have the self-titled album, which I cannot even explain like that album, like how big it was for me growing up. Like, when it was coming out, they were like my favorite band at the time. It was just, you know, there's so many songs on that album I love. I found it interesting when I looked at the list after. I'm like, it's funny how the top two albums on my rank and on Ryan's rank. And I'm, and I don't know about Gordon's rank yet, but I think they might be the top two there. I'm not sure. I could be wrong.
2: Yeah. Oddly
0: funny, though, oddly though. Well, oddly I think that the top two are the two that have Dave Grohl playing drums on it. Of course. Of course. <laughs> what well, uh, about Gordon? Give us your top 10. Okay, so my top ten.
1: I'll, I'll just kick it off with the top two right off the top. Um, I have Foo Fighters as the, the subtitle as, as the number one. That's such a, a rockin' album. Big Me. Um, I mean, there's so many other great songs. Um, Color of the Shape. I revisit a lot, mostly because I mean, maybe it's nostalgia, but it was it was the first one that I owned, the first Foo Fighter o- album that I own. So I'm not afraid to revisit it. I had wasting light in third. Um, it's, it's really good. Um, yeah, I would have, for this week, I might've had it maybe a little bit lower on the list, like maybe five or something, but hearing it again, it's like, it, it's a banger out of an album. Uh, so I had that one, uh, as number three, I had sonic highways as number four. I thought it was overall pretty solid. Um, there's nothing left to lose. I have it at five, uh, concrete and gold. I love the song skies and neighborhood. That song is, is a, an amazing single. Um, I never thought i would say that because like over time you you kind of you, you get what you guys are describing like that whole i don't know if it's Foo fighters fatigue but you just hear it all the time that
0: that mainstream rock in the radio or i think i think people are i could be way off on this but i feel like a lot of people like just speaking with the three of us i know we're all friends and we have similar music tastes and whatnot but i feel like a lot of people kind of fell off in those middle years and it, it almost like if you stuck on and continued listening you're like, oh shit, they kind of have a return the form of Wasting Light and they've kind of been on that high ever since. And it's almost like a second leg of their career or you fell off and you don't, you're not even aware of any of the songs on any of these albums beyond the singles. And I do think that some of the singles on some of the albums are not reflective of the album.
3: Yeah,
1: I I think that's a valid point.
0: Or more reflective of Foo Fighters as opposed to the album.
1: Yeah, and like, and I think my ranking kind of shows that like, what is it? Concrete and Gold and um, Medicine at Midnight. I just heard for like the f- for the albums from beginning to end for the first time like this week um, or, or today for for uh, Medicine at Midnight. Um, so that's I, I it's a little bit lower on my list just because of I guess it's it's still really fresh to me. Um, so sorry, I uh, Concrete and Gold was number five. I In Your Honor is number six because that was the last Foo Fighters album that I bought. But listening to it this week, it's
0: it's so long. Like it's just hard. Yeah. To,
1: it's hard. It's like eighty three minutes.
0: And I find like the first three, four tracks on the first album are like really good and kind of like different sounding. They have really full guitar sounds and stuff. And mm-hmm. then by the end, you, you kind of fall into that whole sameness, generic. And then when you get to the second album, it's a lot more chill and you lose that energy, which is what I love about Foo Fighters. I just kind of loses my attention.
2: Yeah, yeah, it was it was the single that that really seemed to drive that album.
3: What was it like, called? Is thing? it
2: is it the self titled? Like. There's, well, oh, you're talking on the first disc? disc? Oh, Best of You, Best of You. Yeah, Yeah, Best of You is the big single off the top. I I, I remember this is the, I'm pretty sure I saw them on this tour at the amphitheater, and they were like, this is the biggest venue we've ever played at before, ever. And I was like, what, really? The the Bolson Amphitheater in Toronto? This is what they said on stage. So maybe they were lying. Uh, But I feel like that they were really getting big like that song was big so it's weird that that was the album that we fell off with like how could they be getting big and then
0: well that best of you song i wasn't a big fan of because it was very repetitive in the lyrics Hmm. and same with like times like these i found that very repetitive too in the lyrics Hmm. it kind of gets like annoying for me personally but i guess they were huge tracks probably for the exact reason i found them annoying (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah, Gordon, continue your list.
1: Sorry. Yeah, so, and then uh, number eight, I had uh, Medicine at Midnight. I yeah, I agree. It's like what? It's pretty short. It's breezy to get through, and and it has a lot of variety. Like uh, even just different, um, I don't know, different sounds or, or different. Uh, yeah, it's a little bit. It's it's not like your standard Foo Fighters album. Um, so I, I, I respect that. I I had it low because it was my first time hearing it, and then I had Echoes, Silence, Patience, and Grace, and uh, One by One. Um, other than the singles on One by One, I I, I almost forget that album like it's it, it doesn't it didn't really have a lasting impression after listening to like the, the crammy mall in this week
0: it, i don't know if it's one i would revisit yeah. often that's why i was saying on my list it was probably only number five because of nostalgia because i was on such a high when that album came out because i believe it was right after songs for the death which was when he worked with queens and stone age it was almost like a resurgence of like oh shit dave Grohl back and he was saying like i want to be more rockin' on the new album and then all my life came out and that song is like one of my favorite singles by them. And then there was like breakout. I really liked that. And there's some other tracks I liked. So I don't know. I thought it was a pretty good album, but yeah, it's probably nostalgia mainly like so high for me. Well B- breakout is on the previous album. What are you talking oh, about? Oh, sorry. Sorry.
2: I'm probably so it, confused. No, but, but because you said it's interesting. You said that uh, time times like these you didn't like, and I think it was, All my life and times like these were the two singles, right? I'm thinking that
0: song I meant to say was "Low." Oh,
2: okay, yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't even remember that song. All I remember is "All My Life and Times Like These" from that album.
0: Yeah, I wasn't a big fan of "Times Like These." that was annoying. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for some reason I thought that album or that song was on
1: "In Your Honor," but it wasn't. I guess those years just blur together in my mind because. I think that's kind of when I was paying less attention to Foo Fighters. I was probably getting much more. I
0: think at that point we're listening, like our musical taste when we were in college grew so much. We're listening to more hip hop, indie rock, punk music. There's a whole bunch of garage rock, a whole bunch of electronic. So at that point, Foo Fighters wasn't as uh, exciting.
2: Yeah. Plus times like these kind of seems like they're trying really hard to have a nostalgic feeling song. It was almost like they're trying too hard. And even yeah. with the guitar riff, it's got. I think it's like. Isn't that taken from like, like an old Cure song or some 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 song in the '80s? That riff has basically ripped off. But. Um, so I guess this can move us on to
1: the next question. Is is this the band's peak? Um, I didn't know how to answer this, so I'm interested to hear your answers. Like, I'll I'll just answer off the top. Um, I like this album's. I, I was going to say this album. For the 90s and it's got the three bangers on it i mean it's easy to say that it's this album but i think over time my attitude or my my thinking of Foo fighters has kind of shifted where i think they've entered a new peak where they have like a like a respectability or they have like more respect than they did back then and i think that carries them like um off the top ryan you were you were saying like you didn't know about um this band like you you kind of stop paying attention to them and stuff like that but I often feel like Dave Grohl or the band they're like one of those bands like almost like Robin Williams like when they're alive you're like oh man these interviews are like uh I don't know or these movies who knows how they're going but then when when he's gone or when they're gone it's like man I wish I had a Foo Fighters album or I wish they could just do something so I don't know how to how to answer that question what do you guys think is is their peak if, if you have an answer for it
0: I don't know, it seems like uh, back, like around the era of when the color and the shape came out and when the, like Learn to Fly came out, it seemed like that's when radio wise, they were just being played nonstop, like everywhere. Like musically, they almost seemed the biggest, but now they're, they're such giants. And with the internet and like Dave Grohl's position in this world of how he's like a rock God, Consider at this point, it's almost like they've been peaking. Like there hasn't, like what rock band that has come out since the Foo Fighters is bigger than the Foo Fighters, especially when you come to like American rock band. Like you know, Foo Radio had had their moments. Coldplay came out had their moments. U two had their resurgence for a while and stuff. You know, Pearl Jam is in and out over the years, but what other American rock band is just always there, always pumping out? It's almost like they've been peaking. They've always been able to do whatever they want to do. Yeah, I would say Pearl Jam. Yeah, Pearl Jam is the only other band I can think of, and they're a band that sort of shied away from the public, so it was almost like Foo Fighters is the only 90s rock band still carrying that baton for everyone. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and he's one of those people, like I think Gordon was mentioning it earlier. Like, when you see, like, an I know for me, if I'm on YouTube and I see like a new interview posted or like a new little live thing posted, I click immediately. He's like, oh, it's probably gonna be pretty good. Like, he's probably gonna say something funny and interesting. Yeah. Yeah, like that, that, that Sonic Highways album, there's a whole bunch of Trumpy lyrics, anti Trump lyrics. And I think they performed at
1: Biden's inauguration.
0: Yeah. Yeah, they're like the go-to rock band. Like I was saying, like, if they need a rock it's like, oh, we're honoring Led Zeppelin. Let's get Foo Fighters to play a Led Zeppelin song. Oh, we're honoring Black Sabbath. Let's get Foo Fighters to play a Black Sabbath song. And the Queen, yeah. Or like, yeah. Or, even if it's not the Foo Fighters, just Dave Grohl with whoever he wants. He's the first, he's the first phone call. The first fir- phone call is Dave Grohl. Anything rock-related, you call Dave Grohl even like at the Oscars or whatever, a few years ago, years ago, I remember he played Blackbird over the, in memoriam. Like, okay. Like what other rock artist would you imagine doing that? Just him. Yeah. He offered to do that. Yeah. Makes
1: sense. Yeah, so uh, sorry, Ryan, did you think this is their peak or where do you think their peak is?
0: but you got to remember when the color and the shape came out they literally played at the like the lyric in town so like they were doing falter and uh and with them it's weird because you look at like the color and the shape sold more than their newer albums but their newer albums are debuting higher on the charts and i'd say the band in general is probably more popular than they've ever been so it's it's hard to judge but then like they're more popular now but it's people are listening to everlong it's their most streamed song like their top 10 are all like everlong the pretender best of you learn to fly all my life my hero walk "Everlong acoustic monkey wrench times like these no song from the past 10 years like other than walk which i think was 2012 like you know what i mean like there's nothing newer mm-hmm. it's all just based on it's just food fighters as a whole they're not like they're not an individual album or song, really. They're almost like a full experience, full podcast. And like and to be honest, like if I heard a Foo Fighter song and like uh, electronic drum beat dropped, I'd be like, what? <laughs> I'd be confused. <laughs> uh, yeah. No, I, I do want to say the dead mouse remix of Rope is really good.
1: Oh <laughs> really? I'll check that out. I think they did it at an award show. I read somewhere that they, they've actually done that live together.
0: Oh, have they? That's funny. Uh,
1: yeah, I'll YouTube it after.
0: Because I, this was like a few, a few months ago, I was going through some of their stuff and I was like, Rope Dead Mouse Mix. I'm like, I, have I never heard this? I clicked, I'm like, this is actually really good. It's on like the bonus tracks folder on Spotify for Wasting Light. It's good though. I All recommend right. it.
1: Check it out. Um. So, I mean, we've been talking about this the whole time. So I'll, where, where do you place this band in music history? I'll, I'll make it more specific and I'll say this is the first year that they... Are they can be inducted into the Hall of Fame? If they were to get inducted to the Hall of Fame, do you think that's on the strength of them as a band, or do you think that's more of like, is Dave Grohl the band, or do you think they've established themselves as, like, as a, a six-piece or a four-piece band, and it's not about Dave Grohl?
0: I think it's the band because that like their songs are still Foo Fighters. Dave Grohl's never really taken ownership of anything. He always talks about it as a band. Even like that first album is all him. And whenever you read any quote of him talking about the color and the shape, he's always, we, 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 even referring to the first album, like on the first album, we did this. Now we want to do this, but it's like, it was him. He's, but he doesn't think of it like that. I think him, he himself, like Gordon, you touched on earlier, he likes being part of that band. So for him, it's all band. And I think it shows like that too. I never take, uh, like I imagine if Dave Grohl was to do solo stuff, it'd be different. And it has been like when he did pro bot, which is more of like a solo, more, he's just working with a bunch of people. He had like metal songs. He had different types of songs. So I think the Foo Fighters is Foo Fighters. It isn't Dave Grohl.
3: Right.
1: Yeah. And I guess the flip side of that too is like when Nirvana got inducted, it's like people think of Kurt Cobain first. They don't, and Dave Grohl second or even third down the line. And maybe Foo Fighters, this is Dave Grohl. Like he's, it's his baby it's not like it's not it's his baby it's not it's not him it's like he's in the band right
0: it's his baby but like when you're part of a band it's kind of like a different dynamic like i don't know like if i was in a band and someone came with a song and we all kind of worked on it yeah they came with the song the maybe the frame of it but we all kind of put our own flair on it if i wasn't you know if nate wasn't in the room or taylor wasn't in the room or pat wasn't in the room the song may may have sounded a little different or came out a little different
2: Yeah, I, I think he just knows how to keep a band together. So he's talking we all the time because he knows that if everybody has credit for the, what they're making, everybody's personally invested and then yeah. the band is going to stick together unless okay. somebody does okay.
0: heroin and dies.
1: <laughs> and he's dealt with royalty issues in the past.
0: <laughs> well, I, also, I don't think Dave Grohl's like at this point, especially at this point, has nothing left to prove like, no. What does he have? He didn't yeah. have anything to prove getting
2: into it, so yeah, yeah he's so. already a star. So yeah, I, I did read though the one
1: thing he did he did he did want to be in front because he got so many offers to be a drummer for other bands, including like Pearl Jam and 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 Tom Petty and all that stuff. Um, but he wanted to do his own thing, so he knew that was clear, and he wanted to
0: yeah. To I, at, that, at that point, it made sense for him because like especially if he was shop playing these songs for people, like a lot of those, like that first album, why would he want to take a step back? This is his opportunity. And like would Foo Fighters have existed without Kirk, Without Nirvana? Probably not, but he made the best of his opportunity and he lived up to it. He made good albums, he made good songs. He's done it forever. Like he never stopped. Think from the first time you heard "Smells Like Teen Spirit when that song dropped in 1991, until today, you've Dave Grohl has been part of music. Like yeah. there's been no moment in that 30 years where there was that big of a break. He was always doing something, whether it was Nirvana, Foo Fighters, them Crooked Vultures, playing drums for whomever, playing, you know, doing a documentary for Showtime. Like he's always doing something like and with music and to further music and to help rock music history and the future of rock music. Like these documentaries he's doing is obviously to show the history of the music he grew up with and loved. Yeah. I think the only comparison I was trying to think of like who else
1: has had like a similar kind of path through music and the only two I could honestly think of and it's not even a rock, it's it's in, in rap or hip hop um, would be like Dr. Dre or Ice Cube, like leaving a super massive group that blew up and then they went on and had successful solo careers. Um, and then also, like you have the whole financial side, or, or uh, like the Beats by Dre, and, and and then you have Ice Cube with his movies and, and all that stuff. So, it I don't think there's many people that have had I don't know if it's luck or if it's well, like it, it to do it,
0: that. It happened a lot in the old in the older days. It, like, uh, what's a lot of uh, rock singers started off in bands and then later on. I'm I'm blanking right now on names, but it isn't like it isn't out of the question for that to happen. Even no, like, like like
1: Eric. With Eric Clapton,
0: one of them. Yeah, Eric Clapton is from Cream, and like even Led Zeppelin came out of uh, fuck was a band with Eric Clapton in it. I can't not Eric Clapton in it. Uh, I'm fucking blanking. I wasn't prepared for this convo, but <laughs> but it like it's, it's it's like a it's a recurring thing in rock music where a band will break up and members will go on to start other bands. It isn't unheard of. Right. But yeah. no one. I don't think anyone's ever risen to his height. Maybe you can make the argument Phil Collins with pop music in the eighties went from the drummer of a rock band to leading a pop band. And, but that's a whole other thing. And he played drums for Led Zeppelin and they did not like it very much. No. But yeah, I know it's, it's not unheard of but I don't think we've ever seen one to this extent. It's even like Lionel Richie was part of a band or Diana Ross was part of a band. If you want to get into like R and B and different genres.
1: yeah Yeah. one random piece of trivia kind of just to throw onto that is uh it this is from 2012 so Dave Grohl might be in a different spot now but it was estimated that he's the third wealthiest drummer in the world behind Ringo Starr and Phil Collins um so that was that was almost 10 years ago so who knows that that well I doubt he's beating Ringo Starr but
2: yeah I would be curious to know how much of his revenue comes from his drumming and how much it comes from his guitar playing and singing because you know like he could have easily taken any of those drummer gigs and been the drummer of a band, but nobody was probably going to hire him for singing or playing guitar. So he had to start well, the Foo Fighters to do that.
0: Well, what do you think? You he, here's a question. What do you think he makes more money on, Foo Fighters royalties or Nirvana royalties? I'm gonna take. I'll say. I'll say Foo Fighters because I have a feeling yeah, like Nirvana. He's probably like 25% or somewhere less, maybe. And also like a third. And also, I believe Nirvana credits are like lyrics by Kurt Cobain, music by Nirvana or whatever, whereas Foo Fighters is it's all just Foo Fighters or him individually.
2: Yeah, yeah. yeah,
1: He's got 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 more. I love where it's like Kurt Cobain is Nirvana.
0: Yeah.
2: Usually, like typically, you would split it like uh, in the court cases often often they'll split it with lyrics has a copyright and the chords have a copyright and the drummer gets shit so i mean unless you split the whole thing as a band it sounds like well that's that's what they did with nirvana it's a common thing to do yeah um so i guess this kind of wraps us up did you guys have any final
1: thoughts before we uh ask the question shoot all right uh do you guys think this album's essential uh, who wants to go first or you want me to kick it off Ah, uh, you can kick it off if you want. All right, sure. Um, so yeah, I'll say it is essential. I mean, it, it's it's a pretty good album. It's one of the first ones that I bought, so I got I got a definitely a nostalgia angle. Uh, I would say the first one is is definitely essential, but this one has like the three biggest post grunge singles of the '90s. Like, there's no denying it. Uh, it's on every playlist. Those three songs. Um, so yeah, I say it's it's essential. It's, it's essential uh, '90s rock or. or um, post post grunge '90s album, however you want to look at it, I think it's it's a pretty solid album. It stands on its own, no matter what era you're coming at it from.
0: Yeah, to go off that, I, I I'd have to agree. Like um, Foo Fighters, they they're just such an important band that, and when it comes to them, this album specifically, just because it did spawn those big singles and a song like Everlong has, you know, just surpass any of the thoughts I thought it would ever reach in in heights of popularity. So, uh, and just to know where that song came from or where the band came from, cause a lot, like we were saying that first song is a little different than the rest, whereas I feel like this is when the Foo Fighters sort of became the Foo Fighters that the music sort of built off of that first song was more like a demo. And this was the, the full Foo Fighters
2: package. Which is interesting because the demo is number one on all of our lists.
0: Well, because it's like, because it's so raw and so, so much energy and it's more to our, our liking. Yeah.
1: yeah. I think even, even like our taste in, in music, all the albums that we talked about in the past and the way we talked about them, I think there's like a strong, uh, we're, we're pointing at liking that one the best just for what it is. Like we picked In Udro out of Nirvana albums.
2: Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, but I'm going to, I'm going to, buck the trend and say that this one is not essential like i know what you guys are saying but most of most of your justifications seem to come from the few songs that were amazing like the the hit singles which are great but i think this the album as a whole just has too many filler tracks like i I, i've got quite a few skip tracks on it so i can't i can't imagine saying hey you gotta you want to know what the Foo fighters you gotta listen to this but well, hold on just after this track and then, well, this one's good, but then maybe like, I,
0: yeah, but that's the reason I would
2: say this is not essential,
0: but that's the full Foo Fighters experience. Like you may, like I was touching on earlier, like, yeah, you might look at these songs and say they're redundant, but at the time they really weren't, they were pretty like, they weren't the best songs. I'm not saying they were better at any point. Like they weren't amazing and they are not amazing anymore, but the album is still solid. Like there may be skip tracks, now but when they came out they were pretty fresh and they were pretty hot like like hey johnny park i love that song when i first heard it yeah i may skip it now but and when it comes to food fighters they're such an important band that there has to be something left you can't just it it can't just be the singles they're way too important to be like oh they're just stripped down to the singles and I, i i don't know it seems like it's more just You're not the biggest fan of Foo Fighters anymore. You're you're just just like, like you're no, but you're just like to say, oh, they're not important. They didn't do anything different. When meantime they became, they became the biggest rock band of their generation. I didn't say they're not important. They didn't do anything (laughs) different. That's
2: that. But I will. I'll just say that there's this album to be an essential album can't have that many filler tracks. Like it has to
0: be, yeah. But I don't think it has as many. Like, I, I, there's maybe okay, like... okay,
2: that's fair, fair enough, fair enough, fair enough.
0: Maybe maybe one or two.
2: Okay, I'm no, no. I'm sitting on the three or four range, and at that point, it's like an essential
0: album. I'm just defending. I'm just
2: defending. <laughs> I I think it just hit for me too many, too many filler tracks. Just just right on the border to like. And I know you know you don't want to have them stripped down to the singles, but. Think about a greatest hits, a Foo Fighters greatest hits album. That'd be pretty solid.
0: But, but again, like your, but even in a greatest hits album, if you took all their big singles, there's still singles of theirs I don't like. Like times like these, I don't like. So the full Foo, what I'm trying to say is the full the full Foo Fighters experience is this. So when you're talking about Foo Fighters, and I'm going to recommend you a Foo Fighters album for you to understand who Foo Fighters are, and you're like, oh, there's a couple of tracks I don't like. Yes, anticipate that going forward. <laughs> All right,
2: fine, but but if there's an album I'm going to recommend of Foo Fighters because I want to convince them that Foo Fighters are good, I will give them the
0: first album. Is it? I, is I would say that's not the best representation of that no, album. no,
2: no, it isn't. But if I'm just trying to get them started on something that's good, that's what I'll give them.
0: Yeah, I would.
2: That's well. I mean, yeah, you, you just
1: almost took the words out of my mouth. Is it fair to say the first album because that's. Like the unicorn or it's the first one it's it's nothing like everything else it's true so I, it's true I, I would say this one is like the best of what they became
0: honestly like like we all we like we i know we've all picked the first one and when i looked at other people what their thoughts on the first one too i see a lot of mixed and i almost feel like our connection to the first one is purely because of how we were introduced to the band and and the era it's coming from but I don't think like as much as I like that first album I do not think it's a good representation of the Foo Fighters who they are who they became afterwards. Like there's yeah. very little that's still in the Foo Fighters sound from that first album real that could almost be like a different band.
1: It's it's probably a good representation of what Dave Grohl is.
0: Yes. Not them as a
1: band. Yes. Or what he was like way back then. Well I mean he still jumps on other other bands and stuff like that too like I, I don't think he shies away from from that that raw rawness if, mm-hmm. if he's on his own like he just doesn't do a foo fighters
2: yeah 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 yeah. i just can't have a skip track as track two or three or whatever whatever that track is <laughs> So i don't know <laughs> hey johnny park is enough to make it non-essential for you yeah, pr- yeah. pretty much pretty much that's what killed it
1: <laughs> cool well yeah no it's good to have difference opinion we, we split this week i think we've been unanimous for like the last few weeks so it's good to have uh, some mixed reactions
3: yeah
1: um so i guess that that wraps it up for this week unless you guys have anything else to to throw on in the end no no what more is to say about foo fighters um so i guess oh. this takes us oh sorry i think we said it all <laughs> said it all um so i guess uh this this helps us our uh, this will continue on with our dave Grohl through line next week we're going to be doing queens of the stone age is that right songs for the death nice uh, yeah. can't even hear it. <laughs> <laughs> What's the saga? I need this. Okay. We got, we got, to say this for next week. Um, yeah. So thanks for joining.
0: Talks for you. It songs for the death.
1: <laughs> I'll stop. <laughs> um, <laughs> so yeah, thanks for joining us this week. Uh, if uh, like and subscribe, if you're watching on YouTube, I, we appreciate, uh, watching live with us and, uh, you can catch us on anchor and Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. um, Original music by Ryan Dugall and artwork by Vincent Tran. Yep. You guys next follow time. us.
0: Follow us on Instagram, yeah. Facebook, and wherever you can follow people. And comment. Yep. We,
1: we always like to hear the
3: feedback. Please. Yep. Peace to you. Peace out. Right. Take care.